Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited Podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joan. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You're listening to episode 26, where we'll be discussing our full rankings of every single Bond film. Oh my goodness me, we've reached it. We we've watched them. that point. We rank them. And now we get to talk about our rankings. That's lovely. We, we came, we saw, we ranked. That's how it goes, isn't it? The phrase? <laughs> yeah, it does now. It does now, yeah. I mean, we definitely came and saw and conquered uh, with the length of some of those episodes. If you, were, <laughs> if you were worried about any rocks not being looked under, you came to the right place. We conquered your eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want to discuss it a little bit because I... I do remember how, like, at the beginning of the podcast, I just, I just want to say, like, this was not a deliberate choice by us. No, we no. did not start the podcast and saying we want the longest, we want to go on, we want to make sure everything's covered. We just came up with a structure for Doctor No. It worked quite well. It was like two and a half hours, and we were like, yeah, we were happy with that. Some of the later ones might be a bit longer, but that's fine. Uh, could not have imagined that we would get to a seven-hour episode. Uh, as when it was all said and done no um and i think that just goes to show how naive we were <laughs> so naive i just think it's super interesting though because it, it does highlight that we didn't really change our strategy in terms of how we talked about them i felt like we settled in with goldfinger and that's when we got to the over three hour mark and that's when we really found our rhythm i would say but even mm. then, we haven't really changed our approach since then. It's just the films got longer, they got more dense, they had more character moments. So what was quite an easy thing to talk about with the early ones, it's just like, yeah, it really highlights just how more layered and dense these films got from like the early 60s. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, you just have the fact that you can, you know, the more you go through, the more you can compare and contrast and, and it just becomes longer and longer to start uh, analyzing these things and and then start judging them so i mean i'm not surprised oh no i am surprised we got to seven hours i didn't mm. think that would be possible but uh now that it's all done i can look back and think yeah you know fair play uh, at the time we we're like what the hell are we doing but <laughs> yeah it's done now so we can look back on it fondly well that's what this was all about you know selfishly it was, you know, we wanted to rewatch these films and I really like the idea of, well, let's just have a complete series of us talking about the films and covering that. And, well, mission accomplished, for sure. Uh, and yeah. it is extremely cool to have 25 episodes of us talking Bond. That's nice. I don't know how many hours, or maybe I should say days, worth of content the podcast ended up being. <laughs> uh, but it might be a week. I don't know. I, maybe we didn't quite reach a week. Maybe a working week. Something like that. Maybe. Yeah. So if you did want to do that, you know, go back and, and just listen nonstop, then give it a go. Let us know how it how it goes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or oh, maybe don't. I don't. <laughs> maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, right, like nowadays with YouTube and podcasts and stuff, a lot of people listen to stuff to go to sleep. And I know I do, for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah. I can't imagine someone like putting on the Spectre episode they fall asleep in 20 minutes and then they wake up at 4am and we're just like <laughs> talking about and his blow fell. Did you know the whole time? It's, it's like one of those things where it's like, ma'am, I fell asleep and it felt like it was five minutes. It's like it was five no, hours. It was five hours. Still wasn't done. 
It's like, yeah, some people sleep longer than, like, they would, we put on the No Time to Die episode, get a full night's sleep, and then get up, and we would still be talking about No Time to Die. <laughs> Tom, you never know, right? A lot of people say about British accents and how, how nice Ooh. they find them. Someone out there might be listening to us and thinking, I, do you know what? I need, I need Tom and Joe's voice now to get to sleep. Yeah. It, could, it could be out there. You don't know. I like that spin as opposed to the podcast puts me to sleep. I think the whole... Yes, yeah. <laughs> those soothing British boys really can help me uh, not nod off. It's the Half comfort I need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think the interesting thing about this is that there was definitely like ups and downs throughout the whole thing. But there were definitely times where I was like, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I remember hitting Goldeneye, which was like 20 in or whatever it was. Maybe less than that, I think. Uh, and just being like, this is awesome. There was also times where I was like, I'm a little bit sick of this, um, but I'm kind of surprised at just how much I kind of was still into Bond. And even yeah. after all this, I'm still really into Bond, even more so, I think, than before we started. I think so too. I, I was a bit worried. And I think, yeah, you're right. Even in some of those some of those weeks, it, it would be difficult not to be a bit bonded out. You especially where, you know, you... Tom edits the podcast, so he hears it all back again. Yeah, and, uh, several so, times, like, sometimes. Several times. So I think it's easy. I think for me, like maybe by the end of Roger Moore, like I was like, okay. And maybe that was to do with John Glenn as well. I was just like, oh, oh yeah. I'm kind of getting a bit sick of this now, as in like the, the repetitive nature of them. But yeah, then you get another one that just comes in and like spurs you back on. Like for me, well, for you, Goldeneye, for me, I don't know, I think Tomorrow Never Dies was a nice surprise. So yeah, uh, definitely ups and downs. But it just goes to show for for this franchise that you can watch 25 films pretty much in a row and you can come out of it not hating the experience, which is just yeah. saying something in itself. It's pretty incredible because if you spent a lot of time watching Star Wars or something, you probably would say, I need a break from Star Wars. Like, I need a break. Sorry, Obi-Wan. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go and just a little bit of me time, watch something else. Or maybe not nowadays. There's so much Star Wars content. Maybe that's not true. Um, but like... Yeah, I was surprised because I, I get burnt out by stuff easily. I am someone who never rewatches films. I might rewatch a film maybe like once every 10 years, something like yeah. that. I'm just not that sort of person. But there was something about watching these all and it didn't always benefit the films. There are definitely ones that, and I think we even said in the relevant episodes, where it's like the rewatch has kind of hurt this a little bit. Um, but even then, it was still mostly like, a positive it was still mostly interesting and it was still just like a ton of fun to go through and even looking at the john glenn era which is not great and roger moore having seven films if you got rid of octopussy i think it would have been fine that's I true think it was bloody yeah. octopussy that disrupted <laughs> the rhythm yeah I, I think that's that's probably that's probably true at damn film uh but yeah what was i gonna say yeah just i mean and and like the fact that this this franchise over 60 years old now and like they're 25 films but as we discussed throughout this whole series you have these little different pockets of of like types of films directors actors the changing of the bond actor just the fact that they do try and often mimic the um the zeitgeist at the time like that's what keeps it fresh that's why the franchise is still going and i think that's like imagine, yeah, imagine watching twenty-five Star Wars films about the Skywalkers. Like you would be, <laughs> it would be exhausting. But I think because it is just, 
there's just, some of these films are so different. I mean, this is a franchise that has the uh, Diamonds Are Forever, yep, and Casino Royale, and it's the same universe. It's just mad. Yep. It's mad. Yeah, I honestly think they didn't know what they had when they started this. Mm. Like they were just adapting some books. They had a big hairy man, big hairy sweaty man, and they were adapting some books, and then it just exploded with Goldfinger and Thunderball, and then it never not it was never not profitable. There were definitely films that didn't do that well, but it kind of evolved because it always made sense to make more Bond films. Yeah. And even when it kind of lulled, it would always come back with like a Spy Who Loved Me, a GoldenEye, a Casino Royale. It was always financially like made sense to do it. So these were never like the top grossing films of the year, or maybe Fundable might have been, I'm not too sure. Uh, But they still always made sense. And it almost kind of created this, as you were saying about the evolving thing and aspect it almost made, became like okay well we have to keep making these films so how how do we keep moving it forward in a mm. way that's interesting and sometimes they find some good answers and sometimes it's uh just shove birds, <laughs> starting birds <laughs> <at all of them. laughs> uh, but they always found an answer and they but and it always made sense to keep making the films but this is something that could have died like they could have done like the first seven and that would have been it like that easily could have been the case and that's been the case for a lot of franchises but no they they made it work all the way up to this point despite what you know certain people might think of certain you know eras yeah and i guess a lot of that is to do with the fact that it's all it's kind of been the same people or at least the same family you know the the broccolis and 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 all that and but now barbara broccoli and michael g wilson i do wonder what the future holds because i don't i don't know i mean they're not that old actually michael g wilson's quite old but I think Barbara Broccoli's not that old, so she, she's probably still going to keep going for a while. But like, yeah, is, is, are they have they got kids that they're going to pass this on to? Probably. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see where where it eventually goes. But we'll be old men by then, so it's fine. Yeah, let's not stress too much about that. That's a whole other conversation and discussion. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot we could say about Bond, and we already have. <laughs> A lot. A lot. <laughs> that's the thing that's kind of crazy. There's just one last point before we move on is that I said it before how there was like stuff we still could have discussed further about these films. And to be honest, there's some things that we didn't even give that much of a discussion to. Like there is a lot of broad topics there where like talking about Pierce Brosnan's era, we just gave it like three minutes at the end of Die Another Day because we were so bloody exhausted. And that was that. <laughs> um, so there's yeah. definitely still a lot more to say. But uh I guess maybe not for us to say it or not at this point. No, we were taking this as you know, if you have if you haven't been able to tell by now, very individual film by film basis. Yes, but yeah, you 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 we could have easily had like at the end of each actor's tenure, an episode just looking at their whole go at Bond, and that could have been a whole episode in itself, like you say, um, kind of taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. And maybe that's for another time. I don't know, but yeah, that you're right. There is a lot more you could say in terms of like analyzing broader themes of it yes but let's get rid of analyzing get that out the way we don't need that for the moment be gone with that we've done that um but before we go into the final list itself because we are going to recap the list and have a discussion about that i wanted to celebrate this occasion because (gasps) me and joe we've done this for like a good number of months now so i have ordered you joe a mystery gift a mystery gift. Now, yes. Yeah, I just want to make it clear. This came a little while ago. I've been having it here, waiting, waiting to open, 
Mm. You know, like a, like a little boy at Christmas waiting to open it. And Tom addressed it to me. Well, not to well. me, to James, to James Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which was pointed out by the uh, the postman who said something about being shaken, not stirred as he handed it over. Um, and <laughs> you I- shouldn't do that. You shouldn't <laughs> shake the packages. Good thing it wasn't China. It's not like... A- <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I also noticed that you drew some, like, frogs on the side. Did I? Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd Good like, for me. Yeah. I don't know. Nice. Anyway, what, do you want me to open it now? Yeah, so to celebrate this... I yeah, you've kept it for a while. I would like you to open it now and see okay. what you have gotten for this big occasion. It's a live unboxing. Here we go. I've got here my, we little, go. Yep. my little Stanley blade here. Oh god. Yeah, I'm ready. I came prepared. Professional. Okay. So he's opening it. Opening the package. I can't see this by the way, so I'm with you listeners. Uh we are waiting for Joe to open the yep. package. This is an audio podcast only, Tom, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wait till you see what's inside there might be like some sort of camera okay oh hang on what does this bit open sorry i missed a bit of tape you oh, got a knife are. and everything and you still <laughs> like <laughs> right i should not have addressed okay, it to so james bond I'll, I'll... <laughs> i'm no james bond right i'm going to describe what's in here for the listeners we've got some brown paper makes sense brown brown packaging and then in the middle Seems to be some sort of cylindrical thing. Yep, that sounds okay. right. I'm going to take this out. Right, discard the box. It's bubble wrapped. This did come Very from nice. eBay, so I don't know the how they did that. Oh, hang on. I see a film title. <laughs> it's Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <gasps> it's a fully posable action figure of Elliot Carver. <laughs> oh, yes. A limited edition collector series. Oh yeah. Sadly, oh I don't God. think it talks. Um, that would have been a little bit too much, I think. But yeah, I found oh. uh, they made a, a little doll of Elliot Carver <laughs> officially. Oh, and now on the backs, the back is Velcro. Oh, is it? Oh, and it opens up into like a little. Oh, it's like a little description about the film and about Ooh. Elliot Carver. Well, thank you so much, Tom. No that worries. is just, I mean, uh, yeah, if anyone's listened to the Tomorrow Never Dies podcast, they know how much I like Elliot Carver. He's probably one of my favorite Bond villains, actually. He's up there. And that's just incredible. Now, it's likeness to Jonathan Price is a different issue. He's spot on. Issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got the glasses. <laughs> but, what more do you want? <laughs> he's got a very big head as well. I, I will I will <laughs> take a picture of this. I'll put it somewhere. I'll yeah. post it on the, on the um, YouTube channel maybe as a post. But... um. He's got a lovely outfit as well. And hang yeah. on, is that has he got like accessories? No, it's a stand. <gasps> There's a stand behind him to put him on. What type of stand? Just like a plastic stand, and you can I guess you stand him upright. It's got like oh, so you can pose in his feet. him. Like well, it's like fully a... posable, Tom. Fully oh, of course. Well, yeah, 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 of course. I did the... see when I was looking on eBay for it because once I found it, I found out it existed. I had a little browse. And there was one that was a lot cheaper that was just like out of box, no trousers. <laughs> I was like, oh, no trousers. I was um, like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know if it worked without the box. If you just received this, like, I don't know if you would get it <laughs> if I just sent you a <laughs> trouserless Elliot Carver doll in a Who's bag. This old man? Uh, and it says ages four to one hundred and four. So I'm just about in the limit. Just about squeaked in there. Yeah. Oh, that is great. Thank you so much. That is going on the shelf. That's going on my big IKEA Kallax shelf with all my other displays. Nice. 
I've actually got a little section dedicated just for Bond. So this is perfect. Oh, that is actually pretty good. Because like yeah. you got the Lego car, don't you, right? I got the Lego car, yeah. I've got like the Bond CDs and the, the thing from the um, Royal Albert Hall, like the uh, the brochure from that, whatever it's called. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I thought that would fit perfectly. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, I want to see the pictures as well. Because I've seen pictures online, but I want to see it too. Oh, well, now here's the question. Do I take them out of the box? Oh, I don't know. Do I take them out of the box or do I Is there any there? like sort of like tape on it? Like, can you slide it out? No problem. It's taped. Ooh. It's taped. Do I, do I want to keep it mint condition? Let me send you the trouserless one. As a... <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I can play with. That's the one you can play. Yeah, you can have your little games with. And then that one's the thing. I don't know. That's up to you, mate. I'm not going to oh. make a call on that. Okay, well, he's going to go right here next to me as we finish up this episode. <laughs> watching over me. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. You can move yeah. to Never Dies Higher, Joe. Hmm. <laughs> What's that? What's that, Elliot? <laughs> Good point, Elliot. <laughs> delicious. Right. Delicious indeed. I never. I didn't once say delicious and all of that. It's despicable. I know. Well, that so is that, truly delicious. That is. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's the mystery gift done. So now we can get into the list. But before we do that, just one last thing. So people have been listening to this. If they listen to all of them, first of all, well done. Congratulations. Um, but also, we have allowed for tweaks and changes with the list as we go. As in, we watch a film, we're trying to make it fit. Maybe something else needs to move. With the general reasoning being like, you know, when you rank a film straight away, you might want to just move it a little bit, right? Like it might not actually have gone in the right place in that moment. So we've allowed for tweaks and changes. Just so we've got a list that we think better represents how we feel. Uh, So we are going to have one more chance to do that. Uh, We don't want to go into it too much. Hopefully not change anything too crazy with the list from before. But this is the last call to make changes to our lists. So Joe, I'm going to throw it to you. Are there any changes you want to make before we read our final rankings? Okay. Well, I think thus far I've only done one change and that was to move... I think I was moving a view to a keel higher. Yeah, because I did the same thing. So you I did think the same. You did it as well. <laughs> I just copied you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at my list and I think the answer's no. The answer's no. I'm, I'm going to trust just, you know, the instinct that came to it for the most part uh, in ranking these films. I'm going to leave it as is. I was thinking, what would I do, though? Like, if I really wanted to, what would be the most likely thing I'd change? And I think looking at it, I would probably move Quantum of Solace down slightly. Okay. So Quantum of Solace is at 20 at the moment on my list, and I, and it's just above Die Another Day. Now, the funny thing is, like, in in my head, I'm like, surely Die Another Day is way more fun and just memorable than Quantum of Solace. And I think memorable, yes. Fun, I don't know. I mean, I must have put Quantum higher back then for a reason. I think, I think just, it was because of the length. I think it was because of the length. I think and, it was purely and, the length. <laughs> and how Die Another Day dragged in the second, like, once it got to the Ice Palace. Yeah. But that's the one that stands out to me. Like, really? Quantum of Solace is above, like, all the wacky Pierce Brosnan ones? But no, I'm leaving it. I'm going to leave it as it is. And my list is going to stay as it was from the last episode. Okay. And you were very burnt out at the end of the Die Another Day episode. Yes, that's right. Yeah. People won't know this, but that was the longest recording session we ever did for an episode. Because after that, we then started splitting them up. So Die Another Day was like a five-hour record. God. <laughs> so, and that was the longest one we ever did in one go. 
it's all coming back to me now <laughs> yes it's all clicking but no that's good that makes things a little bit easier uh i i can't join you joe oh, okay. this, i'm afraid all right. there are two changes i want to make uh, I, I won't go into them too much because i think we'll cover the films as we talk about the final list but there's two changes that i want to make neither of them massively change my list so i'm kind of happy to make them but the more i think about it, the more i'll be like i will be a little bit happy with my list if i make these changes so okay. the first of all first of all it's uh, i've got you only live twice and then the man with the golden gun and a few to a kill and i have thought about this kind of block a lot because to me i kind of group those films in my head quite tightly they're quite similar in a lot of ways and they exist quite similarly in my head and do a lot of the same things so I was like, do I want to move these? And I think the answer is yes. Mm. And I'm going to move A Few to a Kill above with The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes. When I kind of compare them, I think A Few to a Kill just overall is better. And The Man with the Golden Gun has some really great scenes, but it also kind of drags out points, even though it's like shorter. Uh, there is some stuff that's just not good in that film at all. A Few to a Kill has some bad moments, but I think overall there's more good with it. So it's going to move up one... And I was thinking about moving it above You Only Live Twice, but I think I'm just going to move it up one. I, I'm okay. kind of happy with that. Um, so, the, so that's moving up one um, above The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, so the second change I'm going to make, and I'm looking at Moonraker and Die Another Day. They are together for a reason on my list and because they're quite weird and wacky and all over the place. But I think I did actually... In terms of which one I would rather rewatch and probably get the most out of, I think Die Another Day, actually, I would prefer to watch that again. And mm. I think the reason why I put it below Moonraker is because Moonraker just ends. Like, the best stuff of Moonraker is at the end, where the worst stuff of Die Another Day is at the end. Um, but I do have a little bit of a bias towards Piers Brosnan. Not a massive one, but I just had so much fun with that film. So I think I'm going to move Die Another Day above Moonraker. So just swapping those two. Okay. Um, and that's it. Just again, nothing that really changes my list. I think A Few to a Kill going above The Man with Golden Gun. That's something I probably should have done ages ago. And Moonraker, Die Another Day. I'm kind of happy. I don't mind too much. I just think having Die Another Day a little bit higher, it just ref like it's just better. It just reflects my taste a little bit better. But again, no major changes here. Yeah, that does actually make sense because I remember you—you you were quite fond of Die Another Day. Like a lot of it, you were—you were—we were praising. So that does—that does line up. Yeah, yeah, I did praise Moonraker quite a bit, but there is also just chunks of that film that's just oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> I was—I remember like how miserable I was during some of that. Um, right. Not all of it, but some of that definitely. Mm. Right, that's it. The lists are locked in. No more changes. Oh, great. Right. We've got the doll out. <laughs> the doll is here. <laughs> the doll me, is out. Worry. We're all ready to go. So the way we're going to do this is because we don't want to literally just read out 50 movie names in a row. And because we do want to discuss certain elements, we're going to do this in like blocks. So the first block we're going to do is the bottom one, which is 25 to 21. So I'm going to read mine and then Joe's going to read his and then we'll just have a chat about it and we'll go through the list like that. So sounds good. Oh, I want to do a jump roll, but we're not that type of podcast. I just have to do it in my head. <laughs> so at number 25 for me is Diamonds Are Forever. At 24, Octopussy. 23, For Your Eyes Only. 
22, The World Is Not Enough, and 21, Quantum of Solace. Okay. And then for me, 25 at the very bottom, Live and Let Die. 24, Octopussy. 23, Spectre. 22, The World Is Not Enough. And 21, Die Another Day. So the thing that we both agree on, like perfectly, is that Octopussy is number 24. Yep. (laughs) And The World Is Not Enough is number 22. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find very interesting because I feel like we were pretty in sync with Octopussy, as in it's bad and should feel bad. But the world is not enough. I think you were a little bit more positive than I was about that. Oh, really? I remember being in my head. I remember being really negative about the world is not enough. Oh, maybe. Maybe it was just because I was so negative. I didn't pick up on your negativity. Maybe. And just relatively speaking, I guess you weren't positive, but more (laughs) not as upset. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so when I was looking at this, this bottom five, um, I was quite disappointed that the world is not enough ended up so low. If you'd have told me before, like before we started this this podcast and rewatch, I would I really would not have thought that was going to go in the bottom five at all. I would have thought, yeah, maybe not Pierce Brosnan's best, but somewhere in the middle, I guess. Um, and I'm actually quite sad that it's so low because I remember saying at the beginning of the podcast for that one, like the beginning of that film of the the chase through the Thames, really great nostalgic uh, memories of that from my childhood and just like nice associations with that bit. But then it really just does kind of fall off a cliff for the rest of it. Like nothing else really worked for me, especially the action scenes. And I think that's why it ended up there. And it just took this rewatch to to kind of realize that. But it's a shame because I really don't like it sounds stupid to say this, but I don't think it's that bad. But it, it clearly is to me. Very, it's yeah, just, odd. yeah, I, f- I feel like it's like, I don't know, a birthday cake, but you use mud as the frosting. Like. <laughs> it's like there is stuff there but i mean i said this multiple times it's for me it's renard and electra just completely kill that film but even even outside of that i do think there's stuff there and it's what we said at the time like a lot of the ideas were there to the point where they just used them all again in the craig era and just did it better that time yeah Uh, but i was also very let down by that film i think that could have been something more but it is somewhat forgotten you know somewhat forgotten in there and when rewatching it, when something's kind of forgotten, that means you kind of think, oh, actually, maybe there's more good here than people give it credit for. But no, I wouldn't have guessed bottom five. But really, no. I think that says more about how much I enjoyed the other films compared to this. Like, rather than The World Is Not Enough is like the worst film. I wouldn't say that. I just think there's just so many Bond films that I would just prefer to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of them had to be bottom in terms of Brosnan's and, and that's... That's that for me. That the fact it's below Die Another Day, that's interesting. I mean, Die Another Day is is one of those ones. It's that's one often, above yours. Is one. So yeah, interestingly, my list is is I've got pairs of Brosnan films. So this is the first pair uh, right next to each other, and then the other two are right next to each other. Uh, but they're in very different places. So like the the latter two of Brosnan's era, they are very much tied together at the bottom of my list. Twenty one and twenty two. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, but I guess we should talk about. I don't want to talk about Octopussy, right? I, it was just a miserable experience. And I like to think with this rewatch that I did soften up to the more era in general. And, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that before I would have ranked low, I ranked quite high. Like A Few to a Kill was in my bottom five before we started. So I do feel like I warmed up to some of those elements. And when I look at the Roger Moore list of films, I'm actually like, there's some good films in there. Stuff I definitely enjoyed. It's just Octopussy was just 
miserable. It's like I just couldn't enjoy it. It's like it was so joyless. And it didn't help that that episode was the one I was sick for. Right. So there was an episode I was sick for, and there was one that you were sick for as well. And that mm-hmm. was my episode. And I was just so just miserable. <laughs> just like, oh, God. <laughs> it is just so joyless. Uh, and that's the main thing. And I want to enjoy some of those ideas. Like, I don't mind the clown stuff, like Bond dressing up as a clown. I think that's all right. And the wacky Russian generals, like, so weird. <laughs> I like it. And the frantic chase at the end. It's like, I can point to stuff and say I liked it, but so much of the stuff, like, everything in India was such a chore. Yeah. I, I was just, it was, oh, it was like John Glenn at his worst, where John Glenn films are a little bit more bland and dragged out than the other ones and longer. But when you kind of combine that with a film that was just like fundamentally poorly written poorly put together so confusing you get again just no joy i just couldn't enjoy it apart from the cube stuff that was well the cube balloon stuff the not even balloon. the cube scene the cube balloon <laughs> stuff was good that's all we will always have the cube balloon scene yeah they can't take that away from us no i mean you the, the bit where you say about confusing yeah that's that's my memory of that film is just discussing the egg what was the deal with the egg is it the real egg is it the fake egg why are we even asking this like why is this such a point of the film uh and then that terrible bit that i just completely got wrong about where do you remember they do that explanation for like uh, octopus's dad and they do yeah. it in like 30 seconds and i was just like what what and yeah it's just po- so poorly written um and just the fact it came off of your eyes only where i, I really like that film uh, we get to it, but it's just like yeah, and it's it straight back to that. And what a what a downfall! You you would just have such a stronger set of films from more if you got rid of it, as I already yeah. mentioned before. If you re- eliminated that one, look at the other six, you'd be like, that's pretty. That's a really good run, actually. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about your least favorite one, Live and Let Die? Because I know you've explained this, but I kind of do want to hear it again. I think the way you talked about No Time to Die last week did help explain it but i want to hear your explanation why is live and let die your least favorite bond film well yeah that's a good point because as much as i dislike octopussy it's not last it is one above live and let die and that to me was incredibly surprising i'm a big roger moore fan i would have thought okay it would take some time for him to get into the role of bond but surely i'm still gonna like his first one where he's the most youthful. (laughs) So full of life, yeah. So full of life, fresh-faced. But it really just missed the mark for me. And as you say, I I think last time with No Time to Die sort of explained a lot of it where I just found Living at Die so incredibly dull for for so much of it. When I I think to it, I think of the jet jet chase, not the jet, sorry, the boat chase, jet ski chase, whatever they are which just lasts about 10 minutes, it feels like, on screen <laughs> with no music. Um, I And I think of... Well, that's the thing. I don't really... There's just a gap. There's a huge gap in that film for me. I, I just... It's just such a nothing to me now. And I, I I think that's a shame because it's... It had such an interesting premise, the whole the whole voodoo element to it. And yes, it has the, like, the black exploitation element, which was a... a interesting path to take but as we mentioned earlier like they they do that's what they did they they took things that were going on in cinema at the time and, and that just happened to be it so it should stand out for me more like it has it has baron samdi for goodness sake it has like it has actual magic in it for all intents and purposes and yet no nah, it just nothing stood out to me 
And I think, yeah, when I was saying about No Time to Die, I'd rather be kind of, I'd rather be disappointed by something than bored by it. And I think that's the thing. I was just bored by Live and Let Die. Yeah, I think it, especially how you talked last week and with that film, because when we started this list, I think you had it, because Spectre was last for you when we started, but you had Live and Let Die so low. And then we watched it and I was like, that wasn't bad. I actually quite enjoy that film. But mm. now you're saying about like what you want out of a Bond film and what you want that experience to be, it does make a little bit more sense. Like there is a, it is quite kind of oddly forgettable in its own way. Like I mean, I started that episode by saying like I don't know if I've even seen this film before. Well, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, obviously, if I had, I had forgotten it. But even then, I still think it's a very simplistic, enjoyable Bond adventure. But at the at the same time, I totally get what you mean. Like if you strip out a lot of those Bond elements and don't replace them in the same way that like a Craig film would and still just do this quite straight Bond film, but without a lot of the Bond elements and with Roger Moore still finding his feet. Yeah, it, you do get something a little bit more forgettable and I guess you would rather remember something than just forget it. Yeah, and that's exactly what I put. I was looking at uh, you know our episode zero where we did our, our top five, bottom five, and you're right, Living That Die was my fourth worst in that. And in the notes for it, I put that it just doesn't feel very Bondy to me. It tried to move away from Connery and it just lost something and it hadn't quite got Moore's take on Bond yet. So, and uh, that stupid ending with the bloody blowing up villain. I <laughs> still can't forgive that terrible, terrible shot. <laughs> but um, yeah, now I want to move over to your bottom five mm. because in your bottom five, well, I, I, it's up to you if you want to talk about Fury Eyes Only first or Diamonds Are Forever. I think frankly, I'll go Diamonds Are Forever you did your neither of them should one. be there <laughs> no I, I disagree um, <laughs> it's your list it's your list so it's i guess the reason behind diamonds are forever is that i came into this hating that film and there was a few reasons for it number one sean connery is old i don't like my bonds old apparently and it completely ruins the spectre storyline that they were setting up for six films is a mess and it just takes this really absurd campy tone and i think even compared to some of the more films diamonds are forever feels very over the top with some of the elements like it's such a swerve to this certain direction it's so extreme like it's just suddenly really campy and weird and it's just like oh no and a lot of the stuff that in that film like vegas and stuff just doesn't appeal to me and now re-watching it i can definitely like highlight the good elements and the stuff i enjoy i just think the reason why it still lasts is i just fundamentally don't want that film like right. i would sit down and watch moonraker and overall enjoy it but Dimes Are Forever just feels like it shouldn't. It just shouldn't be that tone. It shouldn't be that way. It does no. It shouldn't be the final one with like Blofeld in it. There shouldn't be Sean Connery coming back. What happened here? <laughs> Why do we have like Bambi and Fun? So it's like, I think overall it probably is a better film than Octopussy. If I were to kind of take that element out of it, I think it probably is overall better. I think it does a lot of things better and has a lot more stand-up moments. I just it really winds me up. I just watch it and I get really annoyed and that's kind of why it has to be last. It's still close and it's a very different feeling and experience to Octopussy where it's kind of interesting. I think we're both aligned on Octopussy but in terms of our bottom ones, yours is more of a indifference and mine is more of a it makes me feel really mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of it. But again, there is stuff I can appreciate. I just think it was too much too soon and that film is just kind of a mess and I just can't really get on board with what it's trying to do. Which is interesting because some of the Roger Moore stuff and later stuff, I actually kind of did. I just 
think it was too soon. Oh, you know what? They sh- they they used up Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid too early. They should that's have been not, in a more mm, film. No, they would have been perfect. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, for your eyes only, yeah, again, that was another one where I just had a miserable time. Um, I, I can once again, like Diamonds Are Forever, see the stuff that's good and that stuff is still good. There's just the stuff I hated, I really hated. Like, it was very, like, nails on a chalkboard feeling for me watching parts of that film. From the music, to the terrible dress sense, to Locke, to the weak villains, to just the terrible underwater sequence. So it's like, the problem was that when it was bad, it was grating. And when it was good, it was good. There's good stuff, for sure. Uh, Like the dove and the climbing stuff at the end, there's a load of good stuff in that film. It's just, when it was bad, it wasn't like some other John Glenn things where it's more like indifference. It was just, this is really doing my head in. I hate this music. This action scene is terrible. <laughs> like, so it was, that's the thing. So if it wasn't so grating to me, it would definitely be higher because I can definitely point to things I like. It's just, yeah, it, it annoys me in some of the same ways that Diamonds Are Forever did. Not because of the tone, but just because of the, how it approached things. And I got that same feeling of frustration with it, which I also did with The World Is Not Enough, to be fair. So makes sense they would be down there. Um, even if I could say, yes, there's a lot of things that are good in that film. Yeah, well, you don't want to be frustrated watching a film, do you? No. No. I can, I can understand that. I think I was trying to wonder, like, yeah, frustration-wise, I think in terms of frustration, I get, yeah, that was Octopussy for me. Sure. That was the most frustrating, maybe a bit of Spectre, but yeah, I think the other ones is more just like Die Another Day and Was Not Enough and and Living That Die, just kind of just got a little bit bored by the end of it that's as you say the indifference element is there for me for those ones yeah but it looks like you have turned a page with Spectre a little bit I have yeah not a and very was, big was, page <laughs> no <laughs> it's moved up two places so nice. I think that's actually a big win for me because I, I just I just had such I mean I said it before I just had such bad bad connotations to this film going going in and, and the fact that i could see a lot of things that i liked in it well maybe not maybe not a lot that's a bit generous some things i liked in it uh yeah. i'll take that i'll take that and maybe you know give it a few more years and might might move up another two <laughs> look out die another day <laughs> yeah we're coming for you <laughs> no that's good uh because again i that's how when i first watched it well according to the podcast we did years ago when it came out we both said it was pretty good but yeah. I remember actually not liking it, and I warmed up to it. So, yeah, I'm glad that you can at least enjoy some elements um, in there. Yeah. Uh, so the last one for me is Quantum of Solace, which I won't talk too much about. It's very short, so I guess that's appropriate. Uh, I love some of the concepts in that film, and I love some of the stylistic choices. It just was edited horrendously. The dialogue was terrible. It was really confusing. The themes and ideas just completely collapsed on each other. It had a crap villain. It had a confusing Bond girl. A mess. But uh, I wish I liked that film. That was the one afterwards that I kind of felt like, oh man, when I was thinking about the way they approach like some of those action scenes with the this visceral audio and like visual experience, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. They just didn't put it off, but wanted to love it. Sadly, don't. It's it's kind of there for a reason. To be fair, I think going at 21 is still not bad for Quantum of Solace. Like, a lot of people just detest that film. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. There is there is things in it. It's, it's, it's uh, what's the phrase? Can't think of the phrase, but you know, there is potential in, in it. 
It's just it was just didn't come to be, um, which is the sad thing. There's a lot I liked, but that's why it's up in the next chunk for me. Yes. And any last thoughts on Die Another Day before we move on? I, Joe what Die Another Day, if we could split films, <laughs> if we could start ranking just parts of films, the first half of Die Another Day would be a lot higher. I actually think it's a, a, quite a strong start for a Bond film. But as I mentioned, once you get to the Ice Palace, it really just nosedives for me. Um, which, yeah, because the first half, I think you had the sword fighting stuff, you had the Cuba stuff, you had the torture stuff, you had North Korea, it was all working. And then it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's there. But but I think the reason why it's at the top of the bottom is because there's actually still a lot I liked in the first half of that film. Well, yeah, that's it's an interesting thing that we kind of came across. And Dying of a Day potentially is like the ultimate version of that for you, where some Bond films, or quite common in Bond films, the last third is just not great. Yeah, yeah. They just get so many stuff right, and then the last third is either a slog or long, or there's just some bad scenes. They just kind of, oddly, that last third usually falls down, and it's actually more common than you would think, which I find quite mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I mean, even a lot of the classic films that we get onto, even they have endings where you're like, oh, actually, that, that's kind of a bit dull, or, oh, I, I don't remember it going this way. But, you know, there's enough of good in it to still keep it high. But, yeah, even the good ones suffer from that sometimes. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I guess all films to an extent. But, yeah, it just seems to be part of the Bond formula. So, yeah, I learned something. Mm. Right, so the next block. This is going to be our biggest block because it's, like, the least interesting, I suppose. Uh, So this is, like, our middle block. So we're going to go 20 to 11. Uh, So covering 10 films here. But, yeah, this is the middle block for us. So, for me... At 20, The Living Daylights, 19, Moonraker, 18, Die Another Day, 17, Live and Let Die, 16, Spectre, at number 15, Tomorrow Never Dies, 14, License to Kill, 13, The Man with the Golden Gun, number 12, A Few to a Kill, and at 11, You Only Live Twice. Okay, and for me, 20 is Quantum of Solace. 19, Goldfinger. 18, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Don't shoot me. Uh, 17, You Only Live Twice. 16, The Living Daylights. 15, No Time to Die. 14, License to Kill. 13, Diamonds Are Forever. 12, The Man with the Golden Gun. And 11, Doctor No. So I think for me, this is where like the line of I started to enjoy them comes in. And I'm going to be curious to see where you put that line. Because I would mm. say for the bottom five, I overall didn't enjoy those films. There was stuff, maybe stuff I could point to I liked, but overall didn't enjoy them. But my line of enjoyment, I would say, comes at Moonraker at 19. Like, The Living Daylight is kind of more, I'm not, is a bit more of a grey area. But from Moonraker at 19 upwards, I would say I enjoyed all those films overall. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, I think mine would actually go even higher than that. Oh, no. In- when you say enjoy, like, wh- what do you mean by enjoyed? <laughs> I just like, and you come away and it was an overall positive experience. Oh, even okay. if there's stuff you didn't like. Oh, right, that's fair enough then. Yeah. Oh, well then, yeah, I think mine would probably be the same as well then. I don't know. Or am I going to be really mean? <laughs> I, could go, I, could <laughs> I see mean. you stare. I can't see you, but I feel you staring at Goldfinger and on a Manchester <laughs> Secret Service. Be like, yeah. When I say I overall enjoyed those films. <laughs> Elliot Carr was looking at me though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um... That's the thing. I mean, I was saying it as I was 
given the numbers and stuff. But like that's the standout thing for me is that I <laughs> I've put Goldfinger and On a Magic Secret Service two beloved entries in the franchise really quite low 19 and 18 respectively and i wasn't expecting that i don't have a vendetta against these films i wanted i mean goldfinger of course i'm going to want to like goldfinger it's it's like the most classic bond film there is but when it came down to it watching it it didn't work for me and the thing is like that was so early on as well that i can't even really blame the rewatch being it you know you know maybe i was just a bit bond fatigued or whatever no that was we were three films in and that still didn't really work for me um on her metro secret service i think to be honest with you this is gonna sound this might be controversial i still don't really get the love for on a metro secret service really it's so beloved by so many people it's high on your list yeah, I, I just I still it's like I'm just missing something there. It's like I'm just watching a completely different film. So I'll be interested to hear when we get to yours for that when it's higher up. But yeah, I, I listen. I, I don't want it to be that low. <laughs> getting getting defensive. I am getting defensive because I know that people are just going to be like, "What? What are you thinking?" But that's just how I felt, and that's why I didn't. I didn't want to because that would have been an easy one to change. For this episode, be like, oh, actually, what was I thinking? Put Goldfinger so low. I'm going to move it up five or whatever. Um, but I'm just going to I'm going to stand by my laurels and be like, that's that's how I felt. So maybe I'll go back and realize I made a huge mistake. But for now, it's they're staying there. I think it was quite surprising when we watched it because yes, I've ranked it a lot higher. There's still a lot I really liked about that film, but I ranked it top five before the rewatch, and it did come down after watching it again. And I did have to agree with some of the things you were saying. There are just parts of that film that just aren't very good. It's mm. just big chunks of it like that are just not great. And the classic stuff is still great and amazing and I still enjoy it. But yeah, like when you watch that film, there were just chunks where it's just like, that was just not very good or entertaining. On... <laughs> there are just chunks where it's just kind of boring. Um, so I kind of have to agree uh, with you to a certain extent. Again, I still think the classic stuff makes it still very much worth a watch once which is why it's a lot higher for me. But I, after re-watching it, I can now understand why someone like yourself would drop it low. Um, and I somewhat understand about On a Majesty's Secret Service. It is a very strange Bond film. So strange. it makes sense that somebody would say like, well, I don't like this. <laughs> um, but I think it also makes sense for someone to be like, I do like this because it's mm. different. Um, but yeah, so I also want to give out an award here for the most disappointing film on my list. The one oh. that I feel most disappointed by, and okay. that's The Living Daylights. Oh. I, I was so ready for just like Timothy Dalton bringing something new and just like a classic Bond film and Bond adventure, but with a brand new style of Bond that is everyone loves and feels so underrated, but it was just naff. It just wasn't that entertaining. <laughs> Timothy Dalton was still finding his feet. It was too long. The last third sucks. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> it's bad villains. It's just a oh, bad Bond girl. I'm going to say it. Um, and I just, overall, it just was a John Glenn special where it just dragged. And I was so bored by it that, again, I think I didn't hate it, but it's definitely that line for me where I would say I would never really want to watch that again. And it's so disappointing. When I watched that opening sequence, and then heard like the Living Daylight song by a heart. I was so ready for it. And with the assassination stuff at the beginning and that some of that dialogue, I was like, 
oh, yes, I'm so ready for this. This is going to be great. And I just got a boring kind of soulless Bond film that has a few moments here and there, but I was so disappointed. I was so ready to come in like, like loving Timothy Dalton and being like, I get it. I guess to me, this is somewhat like on a Magic Secret Service for you to a little bit, because there was definitely people who loved this film. Yeah. Who think it's great, who get a lot out of it. But when I watch it, I'm just like, this is kind of a lot of generic Bond. Like, it's quite generic and forgettable. And a lot of those classic Bond elements just aren't really here. And what you get is just someone trying to find his feet as Bond. So I was just, oh, it's, it's a big thumbs down for me. And that hurts. I was really ready to love this film. I do have to agree with you on that. A lot of what you're saying, I think, is is true. I mean, I placed it higher, not that much higher. Mine's at 16, yours is at 20. Um, and yeah, that there's there's definitely things in that I liked. I can't even remember the Bond girl's name, but I remember liking her. Wasn't I going to start a fan club for her or something? You were getting <laughs> there, yeah. Something. I think I had a few fan clubs, actually, throughout all of this. But... Um, yeah, one of the things that people say about Timothy Dalton is, oh, he's the most like Craig. He was Craig before Craig, you know, that that style of Bond. And and I think going into it, we probably had that mindset of, right, you know, fresh Bond actor. It's meant to be this back to more like Fleming wrote sort of thing. At least that was in my mind. And you watch the film and actually it does just feel like a bit of a, a leftover more film. You know, it feels like it, had, it didn't really step that far away from the Roger Moore era yet. Uh, and as you say, uh, Timothy Dalton was kind of very much finding his feet there. Yeah, no, yeah, that is disappointing. I don't know what would be my most disappointed, but I think that that was disappointing for that reason. I was I was really ready, and we got it a little bit more with License to Kill, but I was really ready to be like by that point with with more done. Like, right, let's get something new in, and it really wasn't that new, which was kind of surprising. No. Yeah, very disappointing. But let's move on to the license to kill, the follow-up, because we both ranked that at 14. We did. So we're both saying that's at the middle. And it, yeah, it was an interesting one, license to kill, because we I we already talked about how the last third was actually kind of quite bad with a lot of these films. But license to kill was kind of the opposite, where like, for me anyway, the first third was not very good. Like, it was just a bit more standard, a bit boring. It was trying to do all these elements like Bond on the edge and it's gone rogue. It's like, I don't actually care. None of this is that interesting. But once it kind of gets going and you kind of accept it for the 80s sort of action film that it's going for, really enjoyable. Like, really good villain. Really good kind of action pieces. Interesting story. Actually ends up being really pretty good. Uh, Not amazing. And I couldn't rank it any higher because it just didn't feel enough like a Bond film. But yeah, once I got into the rhythm of it, pretty good. Enjoyed it. It's it's crazy how much Sanchez kind of saves that film. And actually, not not just Sanchez, but it's crazy how much just that end tanker chase sort of saves that film. Yeah. It's it's just so it's really good. It's it's one of the best uh, in terms of like end set pieces. And yeah, I think um you're right, like the first bit, like the whole thing of setting up with Pam and the the fight in that bar the kind oh, of oh that was fight. awful what was like that? that that's a bit that I don't think about with License to Kill you know you think of the head pop maybe but then it's all it's all Sanchez it's all Sanchez and the tankers and that's enough like I'm glad that Dalton at least got some <laughs> some justice with his two films um, and for me it's a, a Dalton as I mentioned Dalton sandwich uh, with no time to die in the middle but yeah I, I don't think I don't think it's Living Daylights is that much worse because they are only two two apart for me. But um, 
License to Kill is very good and kind of it was just nice to see that and actually kind of get that uh get what we wanted after so long of of uh more and but that was still Glenn, wasn't it? License to Kill. Yeah, yeah, that was that was still John Glenn. Yeah. I mean, it is it is definitely not one I would really revisit, uh, which is another thing that caps it. Like if I was in the mood for Bond, I would go after something else. But again, I, that's just how I rank my list. To me, I I said this at the time, I ranked it in terms of how much I enjoyed it, not how much of a Bond film it is. So it went 14. In mm. terms of it actually being a Bond film and when I would watch it, I mean, I would drop it all the way down to Living Daylights. Like, it's the same sort of thing. <laughs> like, I would watch it for Sanchez and for some good moments. But in terms of if I'm a, I'm in the mood for Bond, yeah, I'd probably watch like a Die Another Day or Moonraker over it, to be honest. But right. I did enjoy it. Sitting down and watching it, a lot of it worked. So I did overall enjoy it. Yeah. So that takes us to... Well, I want to talk about Spectre a little bit. Not too much. I think I've already kind of said it. There is still a ton of stuff I really enjoy. And I think No Time to Die massively helped that film, which is why it's gone where it is. I don't think it goes any higher. Because for me, it goes below Tomorrow Never Dies. And I think Tomorrow Never Dies is just a lot more of a fun film. Um, So Spectre kind of is where it is. There's some really standout stuff there. It's quite interesting, really, because I've got like... Moonraker, Die Another Day, Inspector are quite similar for myself, where they're quite long, and there's stuff that I really like in all three of those films, and then there's stuff I really dislike in all three of those films. Uh, but Live and Let Die has snuck in there at number 17 between Spectre and Die Another Day to mess up that grouping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I've already said my piece on Live and Let Die, but yeah, th- so that's kind of a... That was, that's why Spectre is where it is. Right. So for me, 13 was Diamonds Are Forever, and... That was one of those films which <laughs> I made it quite clear that I was looking forward to that. Uh, I remember having a fun but weird time watching that film many years ago because, I mean, you, you've kind of touched on it already. <laughs> where is that? Your, the bottom of your list. And I kind of had the opposite opinion where it was just like, this is so weird and I'm here for it. Like, <laughs> I'm on board for this. I'm, in, I'm on board for Blofeld in drag and mm. elephants playing slots. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um and the thing is, I think, so yeah, it's 13, which, you know, around the middle point. I think it was probably higher, but then just got moved down. Like, I still really, I still like it. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Like, I think there's a lot to like in Times Are Forever for as bad as it is. Like, so bad, it's good type thing. But it did kind of make me realise that, yeah, it, it's all well and good to like a thing because it's so bad, it's good. But then the things that are good because they're good eventually do overtake it, like... You still can't beat that. So that's why eventually it did start to move down to this middle point. Um, but yeah, for, up until that, like, you know, when we'd reviewed that, it was it was quite quite good, quite high. And uh, I, I actually kind of liked how much you didn't like it as well. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Glad to help. It's nice to have different opinions for this. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, it's just and also just, you know, the um, what what you had to go through watching it. I did take some enjoyment from that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I think when you ranked that, it really did expose what sort of Bond fan you are. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, Uh, but it it did absolutely highlight this is what Joe prioritized because (laughs) you put this fun, weird film above You Only Live Twice on a Magic Secret Service and Goldfinger, (laughs) which is fine. (laughs) Like, as we've gone on, to me, it, it kind of makes sense. I kind of understood what you wanted out of a Bond film a lot more. And now that you've ranked all of them, I think 
there is a logic to your madness. Yes, I'm going to call method it in my madness. Yes. Yeah, there is something there that does kind of connect where certain films will rise up. So to me, it totally makes sense that you have Diamonds Are Forever there. I just think it's hilarious, the ones that it's above. Yes. Well, we won't talk about that. No. <laughs> so, yeah, the other film that we almost had in the same slot is The Man with the Golden Gun, but I mm. did move that down. I think the thing that really stood out to me about that film, because I remember watching that like a year or so ago, it was like the most recent Bond film I had seen uh, because the Queen had died while I was watching it. So there we go. And it was like, it was. it's meant to be one of the worst and almost going in with that, it was like, well, it's just not, is it? Like, it's just not one of the worst, no. blatantly. And it has what I think, I was thinking about this before we started recording this, one of the top five scenes in the whole franchise, and that's Scaramanga's fun house where Bond is going up against him. I yeah. think that's a top five scene. And just for that scene alone, it deserves, like, not to be in the bottom five. Well, I mean, that's we we did discuss this at one point. Slight tangent, but like some people that do these sort of podcasts, they do do they do rankings based on those sort of things, like best villain, best Bond girl, best fight, best action, and that kind of opens up these films in a whole different angle, like taking a much more individual at. Because yeah, I think the whole funhouse element of that film and just having Christopher Lee and Roger Moore up against each other as two assassins, basically, what a great setup, and it was shot really well i really don't see like you say i don't see how this film is often said as like being like terrible because it just isn't yeah like a film like they pull it off like there's definitely problems with it for sure like towards the end that the last 10 minutes ain't great and this was in this weird era with guy hamilton where he kind of came back and did these two roger moore films but as you said with live and let die they were still trying to find what Bond was post Sean Connery and wasn't quite there. So there mm. is this kind of low budgetness to it because the, the budget wasn't there and it does mean it drags a little bit in places. There's definitely problems, but there's just there's just so much top tier stuff in here. It's just so enjoyable. When Bond gets to that island, even just looking at the island, I'm like, that looks amazing. Yeah. And then you get Bond there and they have the dinner scene and you have them on the beach. It's just like all that stuff is just really good and it's just hard to really say this is bad. I, I'm not sure how strongly I would recommend it. Like, if you were going to get into Bond, I think this is one you should watch, but not, like, maybe watch, like, ten other ones first. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah. back to this one, because it is quite <laughs> slow-paced and not quite there in some areas, and there's the nipple stuff. So, I was just about to say, yeah, there's fake Yeah, nipples, it's so. not the first one you watch, <laughs> but once you get into Bond, this is definitely one you should watch, because there's just so many classic, enjoyable stuff there. I agree. Just, yeah, don't look at the colour of scaramanga's ugly puke colored plane car thing no <laughs> avoid <don't>. that <laughs> um so then yeah i guess to cap off the rest of mine um like a few to a kill uh, i will probably talk about that a lot more in the next section for yourself but that was a huge surprise i thought that was going to be at the bottom and it just ended up being way better than it has any right to be similar to the man with a golden gun it's just like a really solid enjoyable adventure and sure, Roger Moore is old, and I definitely it definitely does hurt in certain areas, but I don't know. It was just really good. <laughs> like, actually, just a really enjoyable, good Bond film. And if you go into it not thinking that mentality of, oh, it's this film that everyone hates and Roger Moore is old, if you kind of get past that, just a really enjoyable, 
more classic Bond adventure, like somewhat what I wanted out of The Living Daylights. But yeah, this is just a classic Bond villain film, and that's really enjoyable. You can't hate Bond and Tibbet together. No, Tibbet's <laughs> come great. On, come on, Tibbet. Tibbet? <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, just to cap off my uh, my section for this, uh, at number 11 is Dr. No. And I just wanted to point this out because um, going back to episode zero, I originally put Dr. No as my third worst Bond film. Oh, yes. I did. I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I want to point out now that some of, some of the ones I put in, you know, in these original rankings, I can look back on and think, oh, maybe I just didn't quite see the angle of it. Or maybe I was, I've, I've learned something or whatever. For that one, I was just flat out wrong. Okay, <laughs> I was just flat out wrong, and I, I, I probably put that towards just not having seen Doctor No in so long. I mean, I think that was a lot. A lot of it was just not a great memory of it, and just thinking that it was just so small and like because the budget of it and just so finding its feet in the for the franchise. But watching it again, I, I was proved wrong, and I, well, I guess we're talking about in your next section as well. But like, I just want to put my hands up and say, yeah, that was, that was just wrong, a wrong call there. Um, and that was a really unfairly placed Bond film. Cause there is actually a lot to be impressed by with it being the first one. And yeah, being at number 11, it's, it's a lot better than a lot of other Bond films to me, uh, which is really surprising. And I, I was quite, you know, it, yeah, I looked a bit stupid <laughs> in hindsight, but I, I was pleased. I was pleased that Dr. No actually went higher. Cause I think, uh, it deserves to be higher. Um, you know, it's where the franchise started, so you've got to give it some credit. Yeah, I think you might have wrapped that into the live and let die stuff, where you're like, I don't really remember it. Bond isn't Bond yet. It's low. Mm. I'm guessing that's where that came from. Where that argument wouldn't 100 percent be wrong with this film, but at the same time, there's still a lot to enjoy about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I guess actually, there is one more film just to cover real quick in this section: is you only live twice. I got it quite high for myself, and that's because I just really enjoy it as that bombastic, fun Bond adventure, or like the first big one. But I do just want to say, like, yeah, Blofeld sucks. Um, yeah. Like, well, I was thinking about it. If you took, okay, if you took the name Blofeld away from that film, if it had to be like any of the other villains, where it was just like, I'm Mr. Face, whatever, you know, like Mr. Face. <laughs> Mr. Face. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Face. And he was just the villain by himself. That would suck. Like, he would be terrible. And you'd be like, he is one of the worst. Like, you don't see him until the end. And then he looks weird. And then he runs off because Bond or someone throws like a ninja star in his hand. It only kind of gets the benefit of the doubt because it's Blofeld. And I, I don't hate Blofeld or anything. But yeah, that's probably why it's not quite a top 10 for me. Tons of stuff to enjoy. I love the cinematic feel. I think Sean Connery, even though he is worn out, I think that actually works better in his advantage. And a lot of kind of standout fun scenes with the volcano base. So that's why it's high. But yeah, I was surprised that Blofeld, just a bit lame. A bit, well, just a bit uh, dweeby. That that came up in our our Spectre and I guess No Time to Die as well. Um, talk about Blofeld and you you mentioned how like Blofeld isn't. If you actually look at the the character in the franchise, he shouldn't really be this revered character because a lot of the times he's actually not been that good. No, and uh, yeah, like that that stood out to me. Um, with you only live twice. Is that ending bit just like you say? He just runs off. It just, it just sucks. It really just does suck. That ending. The whole the whole volcano fight for me really. I just did not like. I mean, everyone says about the set, and the set is cool, but the the attack on it, I was just by that point, I was so zoned out. Um, what was I going to say though? 
that, but yeah, I think actually get, watching that and realizing that gave me an appreciation for the earlier Blofeld, the actual Blofeld that you know you don't you don't see him, and it's just the voice, and it elevated that compared to thinking of Blofeld just as the the bald, creepy, eyed man with a cat. He still has a cat in the early ones, I guess. But yeah, I think in that case, less was more. And I mean, all those sort of films are higher up for both of us, where he's like that. So there's definitely something there. Oh, that's interesting you say about the volcano base, because I did really enjoy that section uh, with Hans. Who could forget Hans? Oh my God, Hans. Oh, mm. Hans, poor Hans. Uh, yeah. But I actually did really enjoy that fight, uh, which is probably why it's at 11 for me and 17 for you. Um, yeah. Because for me, like, yeah, that is the Bond fight scene or big fight scene between two sides that's it and i don't think anything comes close but yeah i still very much enjoyed it but yeah odd odd amount of problems in that film yeah definitely not just sean connery turning japanese either oh i was trying not to mention it oh sorry sorry (laughs) now if you open up the other package joe you'll find a sean (laughs) sean connery in disguise from you only live twice though then I just do that thing like Bond in No Time to Die. I just flick it straight into the bin. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, right. The next set. So now we're going to do number 10 to number 6. Uh, so for me, at number 10, Goldfinger. At 9, Dr. No. At 8, The Spy Who Loved Me. At 7, No Time to Die. And at 6, On a Majesty's Secret Service. And for me, number 10, Thunderball, number 9, GoldenEye, number 8, Tomorrow Never Dies, number 7, A View to a Kill, and number 6, Moonraker. So this is the first time there's been no overlap in our parts of the list. Yeah, well, this this to me is the most interesting chunk, the most surprising to me uh, in terms of placements. So that For was you, nice. like, which one surprised you then? Uh, well, let's start off with uh, Thunderball. Thunderball, again, it's similar to Dr. No, where I put Thunderball as my second worst Bond film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Originally. Second worst. <laughs> and a, hu- a humongous rise up to number 10 on the list. And, um, yeah, I think, to me, like Thunderball is probably what a lot of people think Goldfinger is. Like, you know, the, the that's Sean in his prime. Like, that, for me, that's Thunderball. Thunderball is is just, re- it's fun. I think, And I think that's like, what you're saying that that's what I want from the Bond film is the fun, sometimes weird stuff. Uh, and Thunderball to me is the most fun Sean film. Uh, well, uh, in that era, I suppose. Diamonds yeah, I guess Diamonds are forever. Yeah, Diamonds are forever. Not as fun blip. as Diamonds. But you know, in the original Sean ones, that's that's the fun one. And like they they'd got the budget, they'd got the the cinematic camera. It all looked great. Um, you had some really good characters. I mean, like uh, Volpe. I I like Volpe. And Largo has some issues at the end, but Largo, I think, is is actually quite a good villain. So, yeah, I think... What did I put? I put... Because <laughs> originally I put that like, I disliked the villain. Uh, long, drawn-out underwater sequences, which is still true, and that is still something that does hinder it for me, is I still am not a fan of the underwater stuff there, and I don't think I ever will be. But um, I just saw enough in that that actually just... Yeah, it, it stayed high because it was... It was early on when we when we ranked it, and and nothing like that was for a long time my kind of benchmark. Like, is it better or worse than Thunderball? And so many of them, it's like, well, actually, that I had a better time with Thunderball, so it just stayed up there, uh, which was nice. Yeah, it was kind of um, yeah. Thunderball definitely benefited by being the fourth one, 
But a lot of it was more like it got boosted up just because other films had more problems. Like, yeah. Thunderball doesn't have the iconic moments of Goldfinger, but when you look at some of the other films, you're like, yeah, there's actually more flaws with that one. But when you look at Thunderball, I don't really mind the underwater sequences. I quite like them. So when you remove that element and you're like, actually, I quite like Largo, it's then like, well, there's just nothing really wrong with it. Like, it's mm. just enjoyable throughout and that's a really strong you know that's a really good thing to say about a film it doesn't mean it's like the most exciting one but yeah fundable just holds its own because when you compare it to something else it's just like say the man with the golden gun man with the golden gun might have better scenes but it's just way more flawed and fundable actually isn't that flawed and that's a huge boost to the film yeah i mean just i think consistency plays a huge part in these if it's just consistently good that's that's going to be better than a film that drags for 45 uh like 75 percent of it and then the last 25 is good like, well, that's like i don't know by that point is that enough to save it but thunderball was just pretty good the whole way through and that really worked in its favor yeah so i'll touch on dr no a little bit because yeah this is a top 10 for me and it is massively helped by the fact that it's the first like there is technical problems throughout this film <laughs> It's yeah. a little bit of a mess, so low budget, but it just gives it this unique, enjoyable feel. Like, there is something to say. There's a real charm to, like, the beginning of a franchise when it's, like, a, a good start. I, I wouldn't say it's a great start, but it's, like, a good start. And that just gives it just a, such a big boost, especially because it's short as well. It's such a to-the-point Bond adventure. That's just a massive charm to this. Uh, when I think about it, again, it, it like a Goldfinger, which I have at 10, might have higher highs than Dr. No, but Dr. No is just, oh, it's the first Bond film, and oh, I really like Dr. No, the character, and it's Sean doing his thing, and there's just some, the you know, the stuff that's kind of off is also just kind of enjoyable in its weird way. So it's definitely boosted, boosted by that. If it was like the second film, I would probably be like, no, I, I probably would drop it quite heavily. But mm. because it's the first, because there's a real charm to that, it gets to be a top 10. It makes sense to me it wouldn't be a top five. I just don't think there's enough standout moments and good stuff about it. But it's just such an... It's so fun to go back and rewatch that film that I number nine seems like a really good spot for it for me. Charming is a is a really apt word for that. Yeah, it is charming. You know, Bond... Bond, one of Bond's action scenes is just... There's a tarantula. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> just a tarantula on him. And, and like, the, the set... The set that uh what's his name professor dent is that his name whatever the professor's name was goes into and it's literally just like that room with a chair and it's like well they did that probably because they had no money but actually it really works like it works way more than it has any right to and it's stuff like that that just yeah you could tell they were doing the best with the money they had and it yeah charming exactly yes so then just to recap golfing a little bit for me like yeah, I've already said I can very much see the problems of this film, but the stuff that's good is still really, really good. Like some of the best of Bond is here. That laser scene, I would say, is a top five moment. I already said The Man with the Golden Gun, Funhouse is a top five. Goldfinger laser scene, also a top five. And Goldfinger is maybe my favorite villain in the whole franchise. So that's enough for me to give it a number 10 slot and get it in the top 10. To me, that still makes sense, but it is hard to ignore some of the stuff that drag it down just a scene where 
Oddjob goes and gets a car crush. Like, what? What are we? Why am I watching? <laughs> why was that in the film? It's so oh. boring. <laughs> like, there's just so many parts of this film where I'm just like, I'm just bored, and I'm just not into this at all. And the pussy galore stuff is also just dreadful as well. But even saying that, that's why it's still at number. Like, that's why it's not a, like a top five for me anymore because it was when I started. But the classic great stuff is still really, really good. I still love that stuff. But yeah, there's enough there to bring it down to where, like, actually, number 10 makes sense to me. The ones above it, I would prefer to watch because I just don't think they're as flawed as Goldfinger ultimately turned out to be. God, I forgot about that car crushing bit. I know, what was that? <laughs> it's, so, it's so long as well. I, it just takes ages. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hmm. What was I going to say? So, yeah, I mentioned earlier on that the, I had a, a Brosnan pair 21 and 22, Die Another Day and Words Not Enough. Here's my other pair in this section. Tomorrow Never Dies and Goldeneye, 8 and 9. And I think the, the, the thing that's kind of standing out to me for this is that Tomorrow Never Dies is above Goldeneye. I wouldn't necessarily have thought that going going into this, just because Goldeneye is so revered. It's it's Martin Campbell. He did Casino Royale. He, he's, had, he's got a, a good track record for directing Bond films. But when it came down to it, again, it just looks into that kind of fun element Tomorrow Never Dies is just a, a kind of has a more cartoony, silly villain who's right next to me now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, a lot of that just worked with Bond and Waylin. Goldeneye is still very good. I, I don't want to don't get me wrong. There's a lot like Brosnan is probably better in Goldeneye than he is in Tomorrow Never Dies. But I think Tomorrow Never Dies is a whole film I like more. But Goldeneye is still very good. Uh, it was really only just like uh, Alec that, that kind of brought it down a lot for me. I just did not did not like the villain. But yeah, like I said earlier, it's just funny how such a strong start for Brosnan and how it can just kind of go so so badly halfway through. Um, but I'm glad that he's at the top because I think I was... At first I thought that a lot of Pierce Brosnan would just be in the middle. Like very middling is how I imagined he would go. And I think it's actually better to have it this way where it's just very divisive instead. Because at least there's two that I really do like and they're... Yeah, that's something. Yeah, I have a hard time arguing against that. I don't agree uh, where you've put them, but I can't really argue. Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies are really, really different films. And when I watched Tomorrow Never Dies, it was a bit of a whiplash. And I think if I knew what I was getting into, Tomorrow Never Dies might have gone higher. I'm still Mm. happy with it at 15, to be fair. I don't really feel the urge to move it. But I, I just, it was such whiplash. But again, for someone like yourself who likes Diamonds Are Forever... I feel like you're just a lot more open to that sort of stuff. So when it turned yeah. out that way, I'd imagine you were like, yay, Elliot Cover. Delicious. <laughs> but yay. to me, I was like, what is happening? What? <laughs> and when I said a word I enjoy, but yeah, they're just too different. So for me, I can't really be annoyed about it. And you've still got Goldeneye at top 10. And that's oh, yeah. that's all I ask for. Yeah. Uh, but I can't be annoyed about it because they're just so, so different. So it makes sense to me that you would enjoy them both and have them both like in a top 10 and have Tomorrow Never Dies, more your style, so you put it at eight. That makes sense yeah, to me. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so my number eight is The Spy Who Loved Me. I was kind of thinking this might be a top five initially when I was watching it, but it was just kind of a little bit too flawed at the end, and we've said this so many times, but it's the tanker scene. I'm almost sick of saying it. Mm. It's just the first two thirds of that film are, like, amazing. Like, the best of Bond. For sure. 
I've said that about a few films at this point, but I do honestly believe it. The first two films of Spy Love Me, Love Me are amazing. And then it just drags. And when a film ends bad, it really brings it down. But even then, it deserves a top 10 for me because that stuff in the first two thirds is so bloody good. Like, there's so much good stuff in there. But at the end, when the villain just doesn't really pay off and the tanker thing goes on for ages and there's the bomb stuff, so many stuff that's awful. But even then, I'm complaining, but it is it does deserve that slot. It is more at its best. It has one of the best opening sequences it is a really good film and I do really like the plot as well and the settings. It's it, it formed the template for a lot of future Bond films for a very good reason. And I actually did end up really enjoying it, but just couldn't put it in the top five. It wasn't quite there. So for me, I'm very happy with where it is at number eight. Uh, yeah, to be fair, like for you, I think that's that's very good <laughs> for, yeah. for more going up that high because you're right, the tank, is, the tank stuff is bad. But then the Jaws stuff and the, the, the Egypt stuff, very good. So, <laughs> yeah, but that is my highest rated Moore film. I do think that's the best Roger Moore film. And that's as far as we go with Moore. So I'm I'm OK with that. But yeah, number eight, as high as I go. I, I think Spy Love Me being the top is, yeah, that that was kind of to be expected. Yeah, we're given, such a yeah. such a fan favorite. Like it makes total sense to be your top Moore film. Few to a kill, second Moore film. There we go. That's the shocker. Mm, no, it's yeah, true. true it's just true yeah <laughs> tom does not lie yeah but speaking to a few to a kill you've got that right. nice and high at number seven i absolutely love that this is at seven i i just smile when i think of a view to a kill <laughs> uh which is such that a roger great... moore smile with the wide what? eyes just oh, sitting yes. there like mm. the, the creepy white and that weird uh grinch grin that he, <laughs> he has <laughs> yeah um no but a view to a kill uh, we kind of touched on it with your one in, at 12, but it is just, there's a there's a lot of fun stuff in there. I've said fun so many times, but uh, there's, there's a lot of people think Roger Moore's age, whatever, and stunt doubles and stuff. And yeah, there's lots of stunt doubles and they don't really do a very good job hiding it. But by this point, like, does that really matter? I think what they do with Bond and Tibbet and uh, some of the locations they go to, like I love the whole stuff in the horse ranch, that whole Bond walking around and just absolutely loving it in his white tux is just great. It's just Roger Moore just having so much, having such a good time. And then, and then there's Walken, Christopher Walken as, as Zorin, him and Mayday, um, Grace Jones. They're such a great pairing. And yeah, it's it's it goes above like, well, not a ton of other more films because I got a lot more at the top, but. I think a lot of people would put a view to a kill bottom for more. And I, I really don't think that's fair. I think if you take away the age stuff to it and actually look at the film, there is a lot of good stuff in it. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, you just need to go in with that mindset of, yeah, he's old, but but get over it. And I think you'll be surprised. I Yeah, I just don't think it's a bad performance from Moore. And I think that's always the issue when you think of like older Bond actors and stuff, that they start kind of phoning it in. They're a little bit tired, a little bit worn out. I don't get that at all from A Few to a Kill. He still seems like he's having a really good time. Yeah. And having fun with the character. And that's what you want from a Roger Moore film. So I feel like this is a more accomplished and settled in sort of Roger Moore. And he knows this is last. Similar to what Craig, maybe a little bit with No Time to Die. And he's having fun. And he's got a really good setup and plot and villain and henchwoman. And like a lot of good stuff around it to enjoy and have fun with. So it's like... Yeah, it's just great. It's just yeah, a, and it's just a really good time. 
it doesn't fall into the trap that we mentioned a lot of Bond films do, where the final act of that film is actually really good. Yes. The stuff in the mine, it doesn't drag. It's interesting. The set's are really great. And it, 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 it works. So that was a pleasant surprise as well, because by this point, I was a bit worried, like, oh, this, I'm liking this, but where's this going to go <laughs> once we reach sort of like the last 20 minutes? And actually, it's, it's fine, folks. Don't worry. Yeah, you get the great mind scene, yeah, as you say, with Soren in there, and then you get Mayday. Then that goes straight to the balloon or the blimp, and then yeah. you have that iconic scene, and then you're done. And you're like, great, cool, I yeah. get it, nice. I'll do yeah. something else, but I really enjoyed that. <laughs> don't forget the weird robot dog, but apart from that, <laughs> then Don't think done. about that. Um, no, don't think about that. <laughs> but yeah, so mine is, uh, my number seven is No Time to Die. Uh, we already spoke about it quite a lot in the last one, but yeah, I think... The thing that I'm I'm really happy it got top 10, and it's because throughout that film, there's just so much stuff I ended up really enjoying. I think so much of that stuff works. It's somewhat like, where's that film I was thinking of? Oh, I don't remember. But like, there are other Bond films like this, where there is strong stuff kind of throughout. It just might fall apart for different reasons. But with No Time to Die, even if there's a few things that was a little bit off, maybe the nanobots or something... There is so much standout, enjoyable stuff in this film. I love the Norway forest scene. I think the opening stuff is pretty good. Like, there's so much stuff I can pull out and just say I enjoyed it. The Blofeld scene, the Spectre scene in Cuba. No, Jamaica, sorry. There is so much stuff I just... No, it was Cuba. He started in Jamaica and went to Cuba. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, just so many standout, enjoyable moments that it was great to rewatch it for this for my second time ever watching the film after seeing it in the cinema like a year and a half ago and it was great to kind of have that stuff i'd forgotten to stand out and be really enjoyable and good and as we talked about i think they handled bond stuff very well to me it made sense that bond died and they did that stuff well and i very much appreciate them giving bond a good ending while also just having a really lot of great moments throughout the tower single shot scene just there's just a long list of stuff that i really enjoyed so yeah it can't go much higher i still don't think it's top five but to me yeah this was a really nice surprise and i just got a lot out of that film so yeah number seven being in top 10 makes total sense um i, I think i mentioned how if it, it really just does all depend on on that ending and, and what your viewpoint is on it and if you if you like it then yeah it's going to be high if you're not so much like it like me then it's going to draw it down a lot but if it went the other way around if i did like that probably would have been top 10 for me too there, there's a heck of a lot that really worked in that film. Juggling so many plates, or so juggling plates, spinning those all those plates. Yeah, don't yeah, uh, mm-hmm. don't juggle plates. Uh, yeah, spinning all those plates and, and doing it well, keeping it up. Yeah, that's that was impressive. Now, I was going to say keeping the British end up, but I don't think that's Moonraker, is it? Or is it Moonraker? Uh, no, it's the Spy Who Loved Me. That's isn't the Spy it? Who Loved Me. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, I wanted a really nice segue into your number six <laughs> which is of course moonraker yeah i don't really have much to say about moonraker to be honest um <laughs> puts moonraker it, it, number six yeah you know it's all obvious in it that's where it goes well, th- that is the thing as we're getting higher up this it kind of almost feels a bit harder to, to talk about them because it's like well yeah they were good <laughs> um uh but yeah moonraker often just goes hand in hand with the spy love me for me and it's no different from my list it's it's one below the spy love me um spoilers and, sorry spoilers but uh, yeah, I think the the main reason for that, and it's funny actually, because maybe that's another thing that I would have potentially changed, is that I, I can remember a lot more of Moonraker than I can of The Spy Love Me. 
But I don't actually think that's a good thing necessarily because I think I'm remembering just some of the weirder bits that ultimately put it below <laughs> the spy who loved me. A like certain the where... line, perhaps. <laughs> and also where where he turns into a cowboy briefly. <laughs> Do you remember that bit? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. When yeah. they go to Q branch or MI6 base. Just yeah. in the Mexico. Or... Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, there are some strange bits to that film. Oh, what the... um, <laughs> Which, which, but it has the sort of opposite problem to Spy Love Me, where the ending of Moonraker is really, I really like the end um, in, in the space station. Once they get out and have to shoot the missiles, it's quite quick at least. But the space station stuff, I think, is really fun and wacky. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's just a lot of the stuff leading up to it was not as strong as Spy Love Me. What they did with Jaws, kind of questionable, made him into a purely, purely comedic character by that point, was maybe a shame. But it's still like the fact I can remember so much of it. That's why it's still at six. Like there's still, still a lot that I enjoy. Uh, it is more kind of. A lot of people say this is more at his best, even though the film isn't his best. Like this is him at his best because he's just so he's not quite got the. If if it bothers you, he's not quite at the age yet where it's kind of standing out, and he's he's well into the role, and they're just going so big with this, literally out you know into outer space. Uh, there's a lot of elements that just come together to make it like kind of like the Thunderball, but for Roger Moore, I think, where they just went so big, but a lot of it just is, is good. Drax is great. Got to love Drax. Yeah. That's the thing that I found interesting about that episode, though, because we, we knew going into it, or I knew that you were going to rank it high, and I know you really like this film, but as we went through it, and I was like, this sucks, and you were like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> there was like we didn't really disagree on much in that film i think you like drax more than me some of the draw stuff didn't really bother me that much but there was some stuff that did bother me a bit and i had a bad time with some of that stuff but we didn't really massively misalign you just come away just overall having a really good time with it yeah despite its flaws i can't that i can't really explain because you are right you are right I, I probably during the podcast i was probably not singing its praises too much. But I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just come away from Moonraker and uh, I've just I've just enjoyed myself um, for some strange reason. It's just there. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm not even going to try and explain it because that's just it. No, we'll leave it. I think that's fair. Um, but if we want to talk about Moonraker being such a unique film, which might be the reason why you like it, uh, we can jump back to my list. Or for my number six on a Majesty Secret Service, and the reason I like it is because it's so unique. It's so Certainly different. Is. There's just no other Bond film like this, and I really enjoy. I really enjoy that. I like how close it kind of feels more to the books. I suppose I don't really know the books, but even then, I like the tone overall. I think this is probably what John Glenn wanted to do, but just doesn't have the directing chops to do it. Mm. Uh, but on a Majesty Secret Service, pulls off that vibe. And obviously the big thing is George Lazenby, not just because he's tall, um, because he only did one. Uh, and I, I find him charming. I find him really enjoyable. I like the other fella line this and stuff. And I like his kind of odd acting and the way of saying things. And when it comes to him and Tracy, that's just such a core part of the film. And it just works that they actually pulled that off. And even around Bond falling in love and getting married, we still get a very enjoyable Bond adventure. I think they use the snow scene really well. And, you know, Blofeld's not amazing, but I think he's kind of good enough for what he needs to do. 
And I love the chase. The big chase of Bond escaping and having to go down on the skis and then having to go through the village and then being chased on that in the like the derby or whatever it is, the demolition stuff. I love that stuff. Um, so there's just so much I kind of enjoy and I like how weird and unique it feels. And of course, the ending is great. Of course, there's the thing with the music, but even then that doesn't bother me that much. I still think it's a really great, strong ending to the film. And there's just something about this film that I don't get out of any other Bond film. Even if other Bond films would take ideas from this, or, you know, the Bond films either side are still of the same era, there's just something I get from this film I get from no, no other films. And that is a reason why I'd always kind of come back to it and why I actually end up really enjoying this film in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, well, as you're saying all that stuff, I was looking at where I put it and I was just trying to like, I was trying to be sold on it because clearly you like it a lot. And what you're saying all makes total sense. As I mentioned, it's, this is a, this is a, it's not you, it's me problem. And and you're not alone because on Her Majesty's Secret Service, we said this in the episode, how it's sort of had a bit of a renaissance in the past like 10 years or, or whenever where it's just suddenly become so many people's favourites or referenced or or being an inspiration to other films. We might have mentioned about Nolan and Inception and that sort of stuff. And like the fact that it was so referenced in the most recent Bond film is say, says something as well. Not just because of the, like the, the marriage and the relationship idea, but just because I think it's so highly regarded now by a lot of people. I just, do you know what I kind of wish wasn't in it? I know this is such a nitpick, but looking at it now... I do it's not have the a midget, is it? It's not it's the not whistling the midget. midget. <laughs> no, I love that. That's my favorite it would be part. number one if it wasn't for that darn <laughs> whistling. No, it's it's George Lazenby, but it's it's specifically. I just think it's so strange that they got this new actor, model actor, and then decided that they should have him play this other character than dub him. I just that still boggles yeah. my mind. Oh. I do think that maybe maybe if he wasn't like maybe if it was him doing that, I, maybe I'd like it more. <laughs> But I don't know. Let's go. Let's go back and review it. Uh, no, no, I don't think we have time. We don't have time in the world for that. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, right. So that takes us to the top five. Indeed. So I'll start at at number five, Thunderball. Number four, From Russia with Love. Number three, Casino Royale. Number two, Goldeneye. And at number one, Skyfall. And for me, number five, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number four, For Your Eyes Only. Number three, From Russia With Love. Number two, Skyfall. And number one, Casino Royale. So I guess before we get into this properly, I do want to just kind of sum up Thunderball a little bit because we have so much crossover uh, in our list here. But we've already talked about Thunderball a bit, so I want to kind of cover that a little bit more. And yeah, this was such an enjoyable, fun film. And... As I already said, there's just not that much wrong with it. But to me, with Thunderball, it is the ultimate Spectre film. It is the ultimate Spectre plot with Blofeld and seeing all the other double O's. And that stuff is really exciting and cool. I love how they pick a location and stick with it. And you get to really get a good sense of it. I think it's a good villain. I love the shark Mm. stuff. I love the underwater stuff. It is somewhat there by default at number five. I do think... Four to one are just kind of in a different tier. And I would put Fundable more closely with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I don't think Fundable's in the same tier as the rest. But it's just so overall enjoyable. And yeah, I love that we have this big all-out Spectre film. I know 
other ones have. You only live twice. But to me, this is it. If I want to see that stuff, I prefer Blofeld Hidden. I prefer seeing like the whole organization, the whole MI6 going all in. And I think Sean Connery is really good in the film as well. It's just, it's just so much fun. <laughs> um, and again, yeah, not a real solid number five in particular, but it does deserve it because I just had a really good time with it. And I would happily sit down and watch that again uh, if I'm in the mood for some James Bond. Yeah, that that's probably Thunderball is probably like a good one for, to start off with. I think if you're if you're introducing someone to Bond, because well, I'm saying this as a person that doesn't really like Goldfinger. That's probably why I'm saying this. But because even though From Russia Love is higher for me, I think Thunderball is more of a you know a Bond film, and it's it's just got so many things in it that are classic uh, and work. So yeah, I think that's a very good introductory Bond film for people. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but do you have anything to add on the spy who loved me? Not really. Uh, it's just it, you know, it's a spy who loved me, right? It's it's got great song. It's got the great got the great start. It's got the Union Jack parachute. I mean. Need I say more? Um, Jaws, and it's yeah. The tanker stuff. I don't. I don't want to keep saying tanker stuff. That is the only disappointment really for it for me. Um, I realised actually. Oh, I, I don't actually like the ending of this film very much. In my head, it was like, oh, I want to see. I want to see Roger in his in his outfit where he, you know he's got the what is that like a commander outfit on, and then. Oh, actually, what he's doing though is not that good, and there's a weird thing with the camera, and then it blows up. And but yeah, everything else, and him and Anya, and and that that stuff, I, they did. It, it wasn't maybe done as best as it could have, where they just very quickly move on from the, the the elements they have in that with the him killing her lover and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, so much of it still does work, uh, and I really thought this was going to be my top. More film. I mean, in in our original rankings, this was number three, The Spy Love Me, and it's it is still in the top five. But no, there was another one. There was another one that yeah, just sneaked in there. I'm seeing yeah, right at number four. I'm looking at yeah. Shall I talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so this this is this must be for me like the biggest shock of my entire list, and also the biggest rank, uh, the the biggest change. I think because For Your Eyes Only is my number four which I originally put as my fifth worst. (laughs) Yes. It's now my fourth best. It's also the one we're most divided on because I've got it at number 23 and you've got it at four. So it's a bottom five for me and a top five for you. So it's the one we're most, girl, you're, (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to preface this by, I'm a little bit worried about For Your Eyes Only because I'm... Yeah, I'm worried that maybe I was just in a really good mood when I watched that film for this this podcast. And that kind of swayed me too much. I don't know. Am I going to go back and watch this again and think, what what, what did I see here? What, what is this? This should go 10 places lower. But as it stands now, when I think of Your Eyes Only and I think of just, the, just the, the tone, the tone shift with this following uh, Moonraker... I really think it's like it was so refreshing, such a refreshing change to see Roger Moore in this sort of scenario and this sort of film where it, you know, it's, they 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 pulled it back from outer space. They they brought it back down to earth, and I actually think they did it pretty well. Chrissy, bless him. Chrissy, oh yeah, not the strongest villain. That's that's 
to be fair. But I still think that like the bigger picture of this, where they they just I don't know, they just made it a lot simpler, a lot cleaner. And I think of some of the characters in there. I I like Melina. That's her name, right? Melina. Uh, I, yeah, I think know. it is Melina. I know I like you Melina. Mean, yeah. Uh, I really like Columbo. Remember Columbo? The, and actually, yeah, the actor the who played him, he uh, he died not long after we put that episode out, which was sad. Oh. Um, or maybe just before. Well, but, that's uh, sad. Yeah, yeah, he died. But um, And I liked Locke, actually, Creepy Locke, the whole car stuff. And here's a little insight. I th- I think I'm, I'm going to be going to Corfu sometime this year. And whilst I'm there, I'm going to try and go to some of the spots <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> they filmed in because a lot of your eyes only was filmed in Corfu. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and go. I'll, I know that you can go to the stairs. You know the, the shot with Bond drawing up the stairs. Yeah, out where of breath. it keeps cutting. Yeah, <laughs> and you just hear the tip taps. That's a place I, I, I really want to go there. And if I do, I'm gonna get a recording of me running up those stairs. Like, Roger. is there like uh, the cliff where you can kick off a car as well? I, th- I think you can see it. I don't think you can get there, but you can ah. definitely see where they filmed it. So I'm very excited for that. That is kind of um, cool. Yeah, you gotta get your yeah. Duff badge ready. I re- I'm gonna, yeah, I'll be like, does this let me in? Any any VIP pass? And I go, what the hell is that? Yeah, <laughs> go away. No, um, yeah, for your eyes only. I think maybe it was also just a part of me subconsciously wanting to be different, <laughs> you know, wanting to actually kind of change my tune a bit because otherwise it would have been the spy who loved me at the top. And yeah, wow, big surprise. But the fact that I I just found Fear Eyes Only so, so good. Kind of meant like, wow, that, that, that's got to go up there. And I, and I will shut up in a minute because I've been talking about it way too long. But um, I just look at those two films now, Fear Eyes Only and The Spy Who Loved Me. And they are, they are very close. Of course, they're very close because The Spy Who Loved Me is a very good film. But I think almost like curiosity wise now, like Fear Eyes Only just, it pips it because. It's just so different. And I think I, there's more room for me to like learn, like to love it more. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've already spent with The Spy Love Me. Whereas Free Eyes Only, I, I've got more. I've got more to get from it still. So that's why it's at number four for me. I think in a few years' time, it could be very different. But for now, it's, it's yeah, it's it's moved, moved out The Spy Love Me, which I never saw coming. It definitely sounds like the one in like six months or something and you're in the mood for bond it sounds like that's the one you should give it i think so yeah be interesting to see what you think then because again i do agree there's a lot of good stuff in there what you kind of see as a down-to-earth to to me i get the john glenn special just being a bit bland that's the Mm. thing so when i kind of think of this type of tone and classic bond i would probably watch like a from russia with love or thunderball or something or even maybe the spy who loved me above this one so I kind of, and it doesn't help that that we then got like five John Glenn films. Yeah, like it that kind of doesn't help. But it's his first one, so fair enough. You know, it's it's not necessarily he didn't bring much to the franchise. It's just what he brought. I didn't really like all that much. But I I do get what you mean. I just I also love the idea of a high budget back to basic Roger Moore film. Uh, I just don't feel think we got that. I just think right. we got something that just. Yeah, I won't go on. We're in the top five, so I won't go on. I just, I wanted that and I would love that. I don't think that's what we got though. Yeah. So now we're in a film. So there's three films that we have in our top five that's the same. So the first one here is From Russia with Love. 
So mine's at number four and yours is at number three. And this was our number one for the longest time. Like as in it took me for GoldenEye to come out and for you it took until Casino Royale. (laughs) (laughs) The second film in the franchise is number one until Casino Royale came out. That kind of speaks a lot. Uh, we were saying how are oh, we need to, de- you know, it did get silly. And I think we were a bit sick of having it our number ones for yeah. a while. But I think looking back, it speaks to just how good it actually is. It's such, it is such a strong film. It's so crazy that, yeah, it was the second one. And they sort of nailed it. Like, <laughs> that's kind of mad. But, yeah, kind of like what you're saying with the Thunderbolt stuff. I love the whole Spectre stuff in here. And... The obvious thing is to talk about, you know, Grant and the train fight. Hmm. But uh, even, what's his face? Who's the ally? I forgot his name now. Oh, um, Karen Bay. Karen Bay. Karen yeah, Bay, he's yeah. great. Like he's, such, he's like, he's set such a template for that ally character. So many other people, like Columbo from Few Eyes Only, very similar. Uh, just utterly charming ally that Bond goes with. It's all there in the second film. And like, given that, it, you know, Dr. No... Also very good for being the first one. Not a lot of money, did a lot. They have more money and it shows like where they needed to improve the sets, the locations, uh, some of the stunts. They, you know, they spent the money wisely and it's just kind of like, well, all right. Yeah, they they checked all the boxes. They they did it well. And the fact I think the fact it stayed so high for so long. I that that I can't really answer very well. Apart from just saying that it was really good, you know, um, maybe just wanting it to stay at the top for me because I, I needed Sean to be up there. Because actually, when's my next Sean Connery film? I think it's Thunderball. Yeah. So like, I'm, I realized that I'm actually not a huge fan of Sean Connery with this mm. rewatch. But where, where, where I do like him, I really like him. So that's why it stayed at the top. I think this was, this was just such a strong entry. Yeah, I think the thing that kind of stood out is... They just kind of nailed the tone with this one. It's just kind of the perfect tone I kind of want for an early Bond film, where Doctor No maybe is a little bit too basic in some areas and a little bit too dialed back and Goldfinger is a bit too much in some areas. But from Rush With Love, it's just kind of a solid, enjoyable film throughout. And it's quite interesting because I think in some ways you kind of, I like it a bit more than you because you don't like the ending chase stuff. Oh, yeah, all the stuff after the train does get a bit weird for me. Yeah, but I actually do like some of that stuff with the boat chase. I think that stuff does kind of work quite well. So I would kind of argue I like it more than you do, um, but it's just not how the film settle in. But Mm. I just think the tone is just perfect. It's still got that spy film, and it's still the way they shoot Istanbul and the way that feels and the way that transitions to the train and the way the Spectre scenes are shot and presented. It's just, oh, it's just so good. It's just exactly what I want from like an early 60s Bond film. Like obviously Thunderball is my number five, so I still enjoy that. But again, that's very different. But for this one, a more low-key spy film, as those really strong standout moments, it's got a classic spy plot. It's early Sean Connery in a great role. It's, it's Spectre is enjoyable. Grant is great. And there is still some humor in there without it being too much. And it's still got the gadgets, but again, not too much. It's just the right balance for just a classic early 60s bond film and it totally deserves a top five spot really great film just really great film really great film everyone you heard it here yes 
so I might jump a little bit here because there's two more. Well, there's three more films for me and two more for you. So I want to spend a little bit of time gushing about Goldeneye. I think that's only fair. You go right ahead. Yeah, so that ended up at my number two, which was a little bit of a shock, not a massive shock, but I originally started it at number three, which felt right, and that's still huge praise for the film. But after watching Casino Royale and comparing the two, it made me realise just how much stuff in GoldenEye I enjoy. And I think there's kind of a few angles at this. The first one, I'll admit, is pure nostalgia. There is just stuff that is burnt in my brain that I will love forever. And that's just who I am. That's how I was raised. I was a GoldenEye kid. That's me. Uh, So that's always going to be in there. So that's always going to get a huge boost for me. But also just so much smart filmmaking in this film. So many scenes are well shot. It's got my favourite opening sequence. And just from the first five minutes of watching this film, I'm like, this is just so good. It's so well thought out. It's so well put together. It's just so enjoyable. And it's just got the best set of characters in the whole franchise. The only thing that I would say is off is the villain with Alec. I do agree with you. That's the thing that makes him a little bit off. If we had a stronger villain, this might be number one. But I think it's the best set of characters throughout supporting cast alongside with Bond. And it just reboots the franchise in such a smart way as in feeling new and different but still feeling very James Bond very James Bond and I get those classic James Bond moments in there it can be intense when it wants to be intense it can be funny when it wants to be funny and it's got like the tank stuff and it's got the there's just so much stuff in there that is just really really enjoyable and just it's just I have such a good time watching this film And I'm glad, I did say about nostalgia, but I do think it's a very well put together story. I do think all that stuff is done very well. So it's not just nostalgia. It's nice to come back and say, actually, this is a very well put together Bond film. Very entertaining. Got stylish moments. It just does everything right. It just does the style stuff right. And it does some of the wackier stuff right. It just gets everything correct for just, oh, it's so good. (laughs) I just love it. I'm just thinking about the... The, the M scene. I mean, that in itself is, I, I remember gushing over that scene. Things like that is just stand out. Like, that's the stuff that I don't really think you really ever kind of saw that in a Bond film before. Like, just that sort of, yeah. Anyway, I won't go into that specific scene, but just that that is an example of it. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, there is there is so much of that film that is very good. I, as you were in the, in the episode talking about it, like, it's kind of felt a bit bad because, like, yeah, it, it is all very good. Not all of it worked for me, but I can definitely see how like, it is still very high up on people's rankings. And as I already mentioned, Martin Campbell, director, also did my top Bond film. So like, there's definitely things that I can still appreciate and that he is just very good at. Yes. So that is that. I think that's how we should do it, right? Because now we've got the last two films, Casino Royale and Skyfall. Skyfall's my number one. Casino Royale is your number one. Do you want to explain why Casino Royale is your number one Bond film? Okay, let's, yeah. Um, So it was my original number one as well. That didn't change. Uh, And I think, weirdly, it kind of feels weird to say this, but I think an element of that was also nostalgia. Uh, Not as far back. I mean, we're only talking 2006. But actually, to be fair, that is quite a long time ago now. Um, But yeah, as I think I mentioned in the podcast, this was like the first proper Bond film I can remember seeing in the cinema like having very clear memories of. And in terms of coming from Die Another Day, having this 
this reboot and and actually just totally nailing it like this could have been it's the same way with like all these all these gaps of bond where there's that fear of like what what are they going to do there's the chance they could just mess it up and then that's the franchise dead and they didn't do it with golden eye uh golden eye and they didn't do it with this either like i do have faith that even with the, this next gap coming up they're going to put it off because they've got a good track record and casino royale is just such a and a big example of that uh they got daniel craig they just they just went all in on this completely new idea for bond this new interpretation of him going back to the books and yeah like it's a long film but to me it never feels like a long film uh i know we slightly differed in like the ending with like the venice bit after after the torture scene like but for me i still i'm still all there for that and i think like all like solidly throughout that whole film pretty much works uh perfectly and the sheaf mads Mikkelsen, fantastic the fact that they make playing poker so <laughs> so interesting and so engaging on screen um and, and shooting it so cinematically still and just what they do with bond and vespa uh there's a, there's a reason why vespa stayed throughout craig's um story even to the, like the bitter end more or less and that's because there's just it was set up really well in this first one and they made a believable story of of bond you know falling in love with her so yeah i just think back to that film and that that's one that i can that's like a comfort film you know i can go back to casino royale just stick it on i mean for lots of bond films it's like you know if it's on tv on itv or whatever and it's halfway through I, you'd probably leave it on and just watch it anyway. But Casino Royale is just like the the biggest example of that for me. Like I I could just dip in at any point of Casino Royale and and stay for the ride. Yeah, I mean, I was quite negative at certain points about Casino Royale, but that's just because it exists differently in my head because I've just seen it so many times. Mm. <laughs> it's just I've probably seen it more than any other Bond film, so it does exist a bit differently. So when I watch it now, I do see more of those flaws. But ultimately, it's a really, really great film. There are just so many amazing parts of it. So overall, I do agree. And that's why, for me, it's number three. And it very much deserves to be at number three because so much of that stuff works really, really well. Like, Craig is great. Some of the the action scenes are great. I think the story is very good as well. There's just so many things that are just fantastic about that film. The song as well. There's just so many things are just so great and stylish and that same kind of class that, Martin Campbell brought to GoldenEye. He does bring again to Casino Royale, but very updated and more modern, which is really enjoyable. And it's nice to see a stripped down version of the Bond formula, but not in a way that maybe some of the other ones did. It worked better than expected. So yeah, I was quite negative and I do stand by that, but this is more about comparing it to the best of Bond. And Mm -hmm. ultimately the Casino Royale is the best of Bond, in my opinion, and of course your opinion. It's just when I compare it, it does mean that stuff like the Venice stuff does stand out as not being all that great. And some of the stuff that I found more enjoyable, like with the nods and stuff to the older stuff, I just find a little bit too much now. But I don't want to take that away from what is a really great, stylish, interesting spy adventure that if you're just in the mood for an action film, doesn't matter if you're a Bond fan or not, like, give this a go. It's great. It's a really great film. So yeah, yeah, not enough for me to be number one. It's not quite there for me anymore. And in fact, it did slide down to number three. But I do just want to reinforce, really great film. Awesome film. I do really love it. 
So what is your number one then, Tom? Oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that just leaves Skyfall for me. And yeah, this is the one where when I look at my list, it's like if you look at my top 10, you'll see Doctor No from Russia With Love, Thunderball, Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me. That's five of those films which are classic Bond adventures. And I think what Skyfall does, and I think is what Golden GoldenEye also does well, is reinvent and modernize that classic Bond formula. When I watch Skyfall or when I watch GoldenEye, they feel like proper Bond films but they feel updated, they feel modern, it feels like a new iteration of it. And that mix to me elevates them above some of these other films. I would prefer to watch the more modern, contemporary, updated approach. But what Skyfall does is that it has a fantastic villain, Silver, uh, which is ultimately probably why I put it above Goldeneye. It has that great villain, and it has so many memorable moments. I love the opening sequence of this film. When Bond gets shot off the train, I feel it in my chest every time. It's huge, and there's just so much style and class throughout, and I love the theming throughout this film. The M storyline is just perfect. It's just perfectly done. I just find it so enjoyable. Judy Dench getting a proper send-off is just perfect. I love all her dialogue, all her dialogue with Bond. And, you know, maybe there's some things you can say are a little bit off. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film, but I don't need to. I don't care. I get classic Bond vibes out of this, but also I get something more. I get something added to it. I get like the Patrice scene where you get that music and you get the atmosphere and you get some amazing looking shots in this film of Shanghai. Shanghai looks incredible in this film. Yeah, But you get that alongside, again, more classic stuff, but it just feels evolved. It feels like evolved classic Bond and having it around M, I think, was so incredibly smart. So it's like Daniel Craig at his best, M, Judi Dench at the best, Bond franchise at its best with the villain. It looks amazing. It sounds amazing. The music's incredible. And it just makes for... I mean, it helps that it's a standalone as well, I think. It just makes for this updated version of bond that is kind of exactly what i wanted i just didn't know i wanted it until i saw it yeah i mean you kind of summed it up there well um, I, I tried to <laughs> you, you, you did you know you nailed it um i think I, I was as you were saying i was trying to work out why it's number two for me and just below casino royale and that's a tricky one that is a tricky one because they're both it's close like they're both really good films really 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 good films excellent bond films i think for me skyfall is it's probably it is probably the ending is just not as strong for me that the stuff in the house is is where it does dip slightly but so much of the rest of it is just yeah shanghai stuff i mean i won't get into it i won't repeat but um and it has that same vibe for me of of like the the feeling of the time uh when it came out and just such a celebration and and bond because it was the the fiftieth uh, anniversary. It really just it 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 got that like that feeling <laughs> that that bond feeling. And you're right, it did it in the modern way. So yeah, I think I don't know. I find it very difficult to talk about these just because like, I don't know. It's just like well, they're good. <laughs> mm. And 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 to be fair, these were my top two originally, and they it, it didn't change. And I was actually a little bit worried. Uh, going into this, having put those at the top two, I thought Skyfall might move down. Oh, I was, interesting. I was, I was confident in Casino Royale, but I did think Skyfall maybe would have moved. But no, it's, it's still really good. It's still really good. So yeah. 
one and two there. Yeah, it's kind of like something I did with both Skyfall and GoldenEye is like, as we talked about them, was just to be able to break down why it's such a good scene and all the little things they put in or the director or the cinematographer put in. And that to me is something I always really enjoy. Mm. It's not necessarily stuff I'm thinking about when watching the film, but that's always going to NFA a film. And it's why Skyfall for me is one of my favorite films of all time. I would probably put GoldenEye in that list as well. But yeah, Skyfall for me is a top five film. I just, I, I guess it somewhat ties into what you were saying about how you want to watch a Bond film to have fun. To me, I want that, but also I like feeling like crap a little bit because <laughs> it does have that sad end. It does then bring it back up, but I think it kind of takes me through what I want to be feeling really like the ride that it takes me on. It's not, there's fun moments and there's humor in there, which you need, but the themes of it are really strong and heavy and I like a little bit of that. So give me a bit of that. And that's what yeah. kind of helps it make it be my one of my favorite films. Yeah, I've been very well balanced. Very well balanced film. Especially coming coming from M's death straight into the, the scene with Bond and the new M in the office is is fantastic. Like what what a way to set up for the, the rest of the film franchise with that. Perfect. Yes. Uh, so that's it. That is our lists. Top twenty five for both. And to be honest, going through and talking about them, I'm really happy with my list. There's nothing that I really look there and I say, eh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I made my tweaks at the start, but to me, I think it really, really represents my view as a Bond fan. And I'm actually very confident and comfortable with this list. Maybe in five or ten years' time it changes, it probably will. But at this time, when I look at it, it's like, yeah, that's that's it. That's the list. I'm really happy with it. Hmm. That's good. I'm glad that you feel that way. I think I'm not quite there. <laughs> right. I think I'm not like 100% with my list. I think there's not in terms of like, oh, I still want to change things. But I just think, whereas for you in a year's time, it'll be like, no, that, that's all spot on. I think for me, it, it might be a bit more fluid. But I think that's just the sort of person I am where like my, my opinions are going to change. Uh, and often it can just be like how I felt on the day. But um, for now... I like it. I I think the thing that's making me not kind of 100% into it is just that there are some very strange things on there coming from a Bond fan. Just like, if you're only at four, Goldfinger at 19, what? And that's the sort of stuff where I either embrace it and be like, yeah, that is that is how I feel. Or I look at it and I think, is that actually how I feel? And I'm probably going to... It's probably the latter, and I'm probably going to end up re-watching some of these later on and perhaps changing my mind. But I don't I think, think you're changing your mind on Goldfinger at all. Maybe not Goldfinger. I think you've seen that enough times to know. <laughs> you came into that being like, hmm, I don't know. Then you watch it, you're like, hmm, yeah, I know, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe, like, maybe for your eyes only and stuff, but I think you made your mind up years ago about Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah. Maybe on a Magic Secret Service, but even then you're, you're, you were really bothered by the Lazenby, and I don't think that's ever going to change. So I don't know. I think you might surprise yourself at how much this actually does represent your your views that's true and you know what even if even if that does happen um i'm still like so happy for this as a project just to have this as a time capsule of a current ranking and like you know looking back on this we can say like oh you know that's what we used to think there or that's still how we think now depending on you know what we think but yeah i just think like having this as a something that I've never really had before. I don't have you. Ever, I don't think you've ever had a, a, a solid list like this. No, no. It's just it's one of those where it's like the only way I could make that list is by watching them, and that's a huge undertaking. So yeah, we just did it. But no, 
it was always impossible. I had like the top three in my head and I knew I didn't like Diamonds Are Forever. And that was, <laughs> that was it, really. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the last thing to say is that despite, you know, I don't want to, I don't want people to get the idea that, oh, I'm not happy with my list because actually there is a, a, a large part of me that's, that likes it being <laughs> just so strange. Um, I like Fear Eyes Only being at number four and A View to a Kill at seven. So, you know, come at me if you want to. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, but that's the good thing. I think I said this way, way back in, in one of the early podcasts is that is one of the things about the Bond uh, franchise is that it just it has these 25 films and people have different opinions. And, and that's interesting. It's good to have different opinions. It's good to hear different perspectives and, and keep that discussion thriving. So, you know, if, 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 if you have been doing a, a ranking as you've been going along with this podcast, then obviously do share it because I'd love to see them. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I completely agree. That's the feeling I got. I try not to look at too many lists as we did this podcast, but yeah, even when you look at other lists, sure, there's some films that you see towards the top quite a lot from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Goldeneye, maybe Casino Royale. Like, yeah, there are ones that you see more often, but there's so many differences. It is so divisive, which is why I don't think you need to worry about, oh, what will people think of this there? Because there's so many different versions of this list. And I think mm. it's really interesting to just get all of them out there and all the different opinions. That's what I think is makes it interesting to be a Bond fan. And it also makes you kind of realize, yeah, this is a franchise that has gone on for 60 years. Of course, there's lots of different opinions. There's somebody who out there who probably ranks A Few to a Kill as their favorite. It's And it's not even you, Joe. It's probably somebody else out there. I, I want to meet that person. And, <laughs> In person, <and> yeah. Hug them. <laughs> if you think A Few to a Kill is your favorite, I will send you Joe's address so you can yep. go and say hi. In you your Zorin a... <laughs> t-shirt or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. They have to bring a gift, though. I'm now used oh, to getting gifts. So. <laughs> you've, cu- you've grown accustomed to a certain gift-giving lifestyle now. Yeah, so maybe if we get a, a stamper doll, that'd be you know, good to, to go alongside that'd the be whole quite set, nice. or yeah. just like a small little drill as like a toy <laughs> that can spin. <laughs> I'm going to recreate tomorrow never dies in doll form. The whole <laughs> film. Give the people what they want. <laughs> ah. I'll do all the voices and everything. It'll be great. Yeah, off by heart. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, no. So, yeah, that's it. That's our list. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Joe, talking about these films with yourself. Likewise, Tom. And, you know, thank you for putting up with my silly ramblings for so many hours. Well, thank you for putting up with my moaning <laughs> for so many hours. <laughs> it's a mutual relationship, you see. Yeah, We made it work. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, yeah. I moaned quite a bit and I do like to nitpick because that's just how I enjoy stuff. But like I said, 19 upwards... 19 of these films I overall enjoyed. Enjoyed Moonraker. So as much as I moan, please do take that away with you, I guess. I nitpick the things I love, like yeah, you James nitpick. Bond. You nitpick because you care. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to that's what I've been trying to say for a hundred hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Crazy. I didn't I didn't get that. No. <laughs> oh, oh damn. <laughs> Alright. So yeah, so thank you very much for everyone who listened. It's massively appreciated, of course. Yeah. It's been a ton of fun going on this ride and I'm glad people came on for this ride with us. That's extremely cool. Like when we put out these long episodes, you never know if anyone's going to listen to it. And 
it's very awesome that people did. So, uh, yeah, a sincere thank you to anyone who checked these out. Yeah, big thank you indeed. Yes, so in terms of what we may do in the future, we've got no concrete plans. Definitely keep an eye out for maybe a bonus episode or two. We don't know. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe not. No, Mm. we'll never tell. uh, No, we won't. (laughs) Um, But in terms of anything after that, it's, it's all up in the air. We've got nothing planned. It'll be nice to come back to Bond at some point, but we'll see. We need a break. <laughs> We've been doing these weekly, apart from that one time we had to skip it for for six months. So we'll go away, have a break, have a think. Maybe we'll come back, maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to see how we feel. But uh, Well, yeah. no, hang on. Wait once. Everyone, don't listen to Tom. Tom may be going on the break. Oh, right. I'm still here. Join me next week for the Mr. Winton, Mr. Kid podcast. No, no, all right. <laughs> I'm changing the channel name and everything and the podcast <laughs> name. Changing all the key art. So, yeah. <laughs> so the circles become like face pit their faces, just repeated. An exploding bomb cake in there, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> no, so uh, you're, you're right. We're, we need, a, you know, 25 films. Time for a break, but we, we could be back for some bonus ones here or there. Yes, I think that's safe to say. But we'll see. Stay tuned. Indeed. All right, Joe, so for the last time, any last thoughts? I think I said this in episode zero, but I'll say it again just to kind of bookend it as a nice cap. I'm really, I just, I'm so happy that I got into Bond when I was younger and it's and it's stayed a thing. There's been droughts here or there of kind of losing interest, but, you know, at heart, I am still a huge Bond fan Every aspect of it, really. The music, the films, the actors, anything. And yeah, doing this podcast has really just solidified that. And the fact that I'm not completely bonded out by this, I think, just says a lot. So once again, a big thank you to everyone who listened. And Tom, a big thanks to you for, you know, coming up with this idea and uh, and us doing it together. Yes, definitely. I concur. From me, like that's the thing. The last ten years, I've become a bigger Bond fan, and this has been a part of it for sure. But once Skyfall came out, I got back into Bond, and it's kind of not stopped. So, I'm glad I have this franchise that I can say I enjoy most of the films, and will definitely be checking out and enjoying the future films. I hope. Oh, I'm sure. We'll see. Right. Okay. So, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 26 of the Bond Revisited podcast. We hope you enjoyed. And maybe we'll see you for another one. 